When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Buckeye Talk is brought to you by ShopOhioState.com, the website for the Barnes & Noble Ohio State University Bookstore, Offering all kinds of Ohio State apparel, check out shopohiostate.com and our new friends at minutemantickets.com offering sports tickets, concert tickets, theater tickets in Columbus, in Cleveland, around the country. It's a national selection with a personal touch at minutemantickets.com. Welcome back to another freaking Buckeye Talk where we don't take any freaking days off. Are we here to sit on the sidelines or are we here to do a podcast every freaking week? Sometimes two, sometimes three. I'm not here to do no podcasts. <clears throat> Good restraint and not actually cursing. I curse. I would have. <laughs> I was worried for a second. As much who curses more. Sports writers or football players? Uh, Ooh. Uh, I don't know. How much do you curse on a daily basis? A lot. Tim, how much do you curse? A ton. Yeah, probably sports writers. I, I don't, don't curse that much. I'm just kidding. Um, Doug Maurice, Bill Landis, Tim Bielek, back with another frickin' edition of Buckeye Talk. The Hard Knocks edition. We're going to talk about Hard Knocks a little bit, uh, just because it was on. But that's not what we're going to talk about primarily. We're doing four solid hours of every single unknown detail of the Urban Meyer saga. Here's what we're going to do. Everything that could happen, we're going to take the things that we know happen, and we're going to say the three different things each individual act could mean. Then we're going to take everything we don't know, and we're going to come up with ten different theories about what could have happened. So is this like a choose-your-own-adventure saga? It is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> if if Gene Smith called Zach Smith on a cell phone, go to page 31. <laughs> if he called him on a landline, go to page 33. I remember elementary school had those books all the time. Oh, my God. Choose-your-own-adventure changed my life. You know what, I, you know what happened to me? Hmm. I chose the right adventure. Are you sure? And here I <laughs> I hope you didn't intend that pun either. You're in your basement talking into your cell phone. <sighs> yeah, I'm going back to page eight. <laughs> Pick your college major. Um, no, we're not going to do that. If you already turned it off because you're like, I'm out. We're not going to do that. We're going to do like ten minutes on the urban stuff. 
because um, we've done a bunch of emergency podcasts. And then we're going to talk about the Ohio State football team because Tim and Bill were at practice the other day, the first time uh, anyone was allowed to look at anything, and we got enough of a hint of football stuff to have something to talk about there. Then we're going to take your questions about the whole saga. So, again, Bill Landis, Tim Bielik, Doug Maurice. Read our stuff at cleveland.com slash OSU. Follow us at Buckeye Talk Pod, at Tim Bielik, at Doug Maurice, at Bill Landis 25. Subscribe to Buckeye Talk on iTunes, Google Play. Uh, there's an Android thing. If you go in our posts, if you're on an Android and you don't know how to get it, you can get it. Um, you should be able to get it. And the numbers were, were there. People people uh, haven't given up on us yet, right? They have not. I'm still trying to figure out the Google Podcast thing. I don't know why. All the other Cleveland.com podcasts show up there, but ours doesn't, and I'm trying to figure out why. So, oh, for real? Yeah, yeah. Bear with us if that's where you prefer to get your podcast. In the meantime, if you do get them there, uh, you can find it on Spotify, and you can find it if you go into the Google Play Music Store and search for it, you can find it there. Okay. Update on... A couple things related to the Urban Meyer thing. Um, I don't know. We're waiting, right? What else is there? I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like if you listen to this podcast, maybe there's people diving in for the first time who who say, well, i got to listen to Buckeye Talk now. So uh, maybe this is the first time I'm giving it. Uh, this is what I know so far. They sure do swear a lot. <laughs> if you're diving in for the very first time, I would suggest you go to cleveland.com slash OSU and read some of the stuff we wrote, because a lot of that is our analysis of the situation. And much of our analysis of the situation is we have to find out more details and before we can say what we really think is going to happen. We're basically leaving open every possibility. And here's the thing. Everything that you've read and heard and whatever, we appreciate when you guys tweet at us and let us know. We know. <laughs> like we know everything you've read on a message board everything you've this other per we know i know thank you yeah like it, that's great and we're glad that we have you guys as our backup but i'm just just as a point of reference like if we're not saying something or talking about it it's not because we don't know about it okay it's just because it hasn't risen to the level where we feel like we can engage with it yeah. where we can have any certainty about it or any trust in it. Um, but we get it. So I, I will say in the ongoing my ongoing uh, tendency to make anything that happens in the world about me, I will tell you that I, I had a weird radio interview on uh, Tuesday night. I was driving back from Cleveland. I pulled into a Pizza Hut parking lot. Um because I was getting a Pizza Hut. Sometimes you get the cravings for the Pizza Hut breadsticks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I could drink the breadstick sauce yeah. from Pizza Hut. Yeah. I don't. I think it's just spaghetti sauce with some oregano in it or something. I love it. It's good. I mean, it's, it's but it's their version of. of oh, but I feel like it's not. When I eat that, I feel like I'm not eating the same sauce that's on the pizza. No, but I almost wouldn't. I would want to eat that sauce on a pizza. Yeah. Could you ask them to do that? Put your breadstick sauce on my pizza? It might be the same. There's just not as much of it. Hey. Yeah. That's also something. Hey, put your breadstick sauce on my pizza. I'm still not over after the Iowa game when we stopped at that giant rush stop. I believe it was the Mm. world-famous I-80, I-90 truck stop. Yes. They had the Pizza Hut next to a Wendy's. I was it you that got the last pizza and breadstick? That might be. Yeah, I was right behind you in line. You got the last one. I'm still not over that. Did I turn around 
after I got the last breadsticks and hold a breadstick up to your face and say, suck it, Bielik, that sounds like something I would do. Um, my memory's fuzzy, but that might have happened. I think that, I think that happened. Let's go with that's what happened. So I was in the parking lot. My pizza and my breadsticks were ready, but they ha- they were calling. Um, so I did the interview, and I just, at some point, I just felt like the person asking the questions, and, and I've tweeted about this, but it was Sarah Spain, who, I don't know if it was a Chicago show or a national ESPN show. She's on a national it's ESPN a national show. Yeah. She's very good. Her partner, I don't know who that guy was. He seemed fine. Um, but she asked a question that, that was like, I had explained, well, I think this could happen, or maybe this, or I don't know, maybe this. And I felt like the question was, well, but if this, 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 then how could they do this, this, this? And I said, listen, like, don't put me on trial here. Nobody covering this case has been more down the middle than us. Don't snap at me. Which was not professional, and she didn't deserve that. So here's, so I'm not doing it anymore. I'm only talking about this in my basement where we control the conversation because I just don't want to talk about, I I don't, I don't know. Do you, I know you've done a lot, Landis. Is it, do you feel like that as well sometimes that you end up saying, I don't know a lot? Yeah. And the people who know less, and I'm not, this is not a Sarah Spain problem. This is a me problem. But the hosts, the reason they call people like us and stuff like this is because we know more. We're covering it every day. They're checking in on occasion along with a million other things. So we know more than they do. But then occasionally you can get questions that come with a degree of certainty on their end, which they're hosts. I get it. That's sort of how this thing works. But it's like, what are you like? What are you being? You don't know what's going on. Yeah. That frustrates me. Yeah, I think. People want definitive answers, which is obvious why they would want them. And like we don't have them, and I think it's a tough it's a tough thing to talk about. Like I got I was on a show on Wednesday, no Thursday, the day after the stuff all first came out, and I was asked at that time what I think was going to what I thought was going to happen, and I just said I had a hard time seeing a scenario where Urban comes back, and I feel like that got twisted a little bit as to like an Ohio State reporter saying Urban's done. And that wasn't what I was saying. It was just like with the information we had on Thursday before Urban's statement. Um, before we knew about this investigation, before we knew the more more details about the investigation, I just had a hunch that maybe he wasn't going to come back. It's not what I thought should have happened, just what I thought at the time. And my opinion has changed since then, but it's just hard to talk when in a in a situation where information keeps coming out and no one really knows what's going on. It's hard to talk about it in any sort of meaningful way. I think. Yeah. So I'm done. So I am not doing any more radio interviews until we get a decision on Urban Meyer and Gene Smith. I'm going to talk about it on this podcast, and I'm going to report it, and I'm going to write about it, but I'm giving it to you guys and nobody else. And the sad thing is, you know what happened when I got, you know, every time you go on a radio show, they say, we're joined by a blibbity blop of the blibbity bloop. Oh, yeah. I I listened to it. For the very first time in my experience, Buckeye Talk got a shout out in my intro. Yeah, it's never happened for me either. They did it. They said it twice. And then it was like, oh my god, this maniac has a podcast. <laughs> Which, of course, anyone who listens to it would be like, that sounds about right, that Doug went nuts on a radio interview. All right. <laughs> what? I knew I wanted to talk about me in terms of the, how yeah. the investigation is... That's a good headline. Let's put down as a headline idea. <laughs> how the Urban Meyer investigation is affecting Doug. I'd read that. <clears throat> I think what I, else? I think lots of people would read that. Yeah, I think... I think <laughs> I don't know. I guess we haven't we haven't talked about it. We haven't talked about this since they gave more, more details of like who's doing the investigating. Yeah. 
Um, it's Mary Jo White is leading the investigative team, former chairman of the SEC, not the football SEC. Um, she was a U.S. attorney in the Southern District of New York. She's done a bunch of these investigations before, a couple of them with the NFL. You know what's funny, by the way? The person who was the... If I'm wrong, I don't care. I'm pretty <laughs> sure the person who was like one of the lead people on the NCAA committee that investigated Trestle was Greg Sankey, who is who, yeah. the commissioner of the SEC <laughs> okay. right now. Yeah, the so SEC it's like, ha ha, uh, it's not like the SEC is investigating Ohio State like they did last time. I mean, that people have different roles. That's just funny. Continue. Mary Jo White. I th- there was just some question, like before Sunday night at 10, 13 p.m. when they sent out the email, I was getting ready to go to bed. Um, you go to bed at ten thirteen. I was going to on that night. Yeah. You're on a good schedule. What time are you getting up? I'm lately? not now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was. Yeah, I think Chase Richardson asked us about our sleep schedule because I was. we've been people all over care. this. People don't care about our sleep schedule. Um, Do you try to get what's a, if when you're on schedule? What are you? Ten to six. Uh, eleven to seven. Eleven to six usually. Eleven to six. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, what was I saying? People were wondering, like, who was doing the investigating? Because all we knew was that the Ohio State Board of Trustees had appointed a six-person working group that was going to guide the investigation. And they labeled it as independent. But I don't know how independent it can be when that group contains three members of the Board of Trustees. And I think there was some concern about, like, how in-house is this investigation? And it seems like in appointing Mary Jo White to lead the investigative team that it is – Pretty independent. Like she's being guided by some people at Ohio State, but I also I don't I I don't know anything about her. But I would trust that she's going to follow her own intuition and not be pushed by Ohio State in any particular direction. Um, so I I don't know. I I felt good about it being independent after getting that information. And you mentioned the list of things she was uh, involved in. I actually have the list here on Cleveland.com. Uh, you wrote, she was involved in investigating the New Orleans bounty scandal in 2010, mm-hmm. the domestic abuse against, uh, allegations against Zeke Elliott, and more recently, you know, allegations in the workplace misconduct by Jerry Richardson, the former owner of the Carolina Panthers. So she's she's had some roles before in high-profile investigations like this. I wonder what she costs. Oh, I can't imagine. Let's get that. Yeah. Yeah, we'll put in a request. I'm going to guess... I'm just gonna spitball. I don't know a lot about being a lawyer. I'm gonna guess five thousand dollars an hour. Yeah, that sounds right. And I'm gonna bet. I'm gonna guess that she bills for twenty four hours a day until she's done because she's like dreaming about the thing and she's just pondering. So what's twenty four times five thousand? Well, it's twenty four hours a day for yeah. fourteen days. That'd times be like three hundred and thirty six hours. That'd okay. be like a hundred twenty one point six million dollars. Worth it. Actually, one point seven. Let's round up. Is Mary Jo White making $1.6 million? <laughs> Brian Hartline's making $46,000 to coach the receivers this fall. Is Mary Jo White making $1.6 million to dream think about the Ohio State investigation? For two weeks. Mary Jo White making more in one day than Brian Hartline's going to make in four months. If, yeah. yeah. If she were. Brian, I know. Brian, I know this is our first chance to get to talk to you since replacing Zach Smith as receivers coach. I just wanted to ask you something very quickly. If Mary Jo White is making more while she's asleep than you are for this entire fall, <laughs> would that bother you? <laughs> um, so that's kind of where we stand. There's an investigation yeah. ongoing. They said on Sunday night, they said it will be completed within 14 days. I guess it's possible it happens before then, but I thought it was strange that they promised a thorough investigation and then were able to put a timetable on it. Um, so I'm going to guess they go the full 14, 
Um, so, like, two more weeks or a week and a half, I guess, until we figure out what the deal is with this? Yeah. Part of me thinks that's an important note is within 14 days because all the stuff you read out there is, like, they're going to make a decision in 14 days. No, like, they could just make a decision at any point within these two weeks. And I do think uh, my assumption is that the decision is going to come with a report, with a public report. Yeah. So, you're like, you got to type it. Yeah. Typing takes a long time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like. How much I, do you think the typist makes? Is it a oh. they're called a typist? I'm going to guess, let's do this. Okay, so if we're assuming that Mary Jo White is making $1.6 million, you can't type while you sleep. Yeah. So I'm not going to give the typist the benefit of working 24 hours a day. What? Let's say, the ty- how many hours a day is the typist going to work on this? Uh, I'll say 10. She, okay. He well, or she is going to work 10 hours a day. Well, would they charge for the page? I mean, if it's like a, secu- a Supreme Court report, aren't those like... 50 to 100 pages long or whatever. I'm not a legal expert. This is going to be a lengthy report. I think, and I think, I, I think this is right. I keep referencing it. I think the John Waters investigation, when they investigated uh, the band, was 23 pages. So if she's, if this person, he or she is getting paid 10 hours a day, what do you get paid for typing? So Mary Jo White's making $5,000. <laughs> Bill Landis has <laughs> submitted his resignation to Cleveland.com to type out the Ohio State report. But are you are you like a real typist, or do you do like the two finger peck? I do the two finger peck. Yeah. What do you do, Tim? I use all eight fingers. Of course you do. My hands are too big. <laughs> oh, you should get a yeah. Like they have a, like a, they have a, a big and tall men's store. They have a big, big and tall keyboard, keyboard yeah. pad. You like? Did you take a typing class in school? Yes. God, you're ahead of the game. Nerd. I do. <laughs> when I was a senior in high school, uh, I dropped calculus <laughs> and took typing nice. and met a cute girl, nice. which I told that story to my wife the other night. She didn't like that story. Uh, that? Well, was typing back in the day, I'm guessing, like on typewriters and stuff? Cause... Typing back in. <laughs> How old do you think Doug when is? You... Well, no, I, I asked because I don't know, like. I know typing on typewriters is much different than typing on computers because computers you can just hit backspace and it goes away. Typewriter is very different. So I, I mean that I think that's at least a semi-legitimate question. When I was in high school, computers were invented. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we typed on a computer. All right, I apologize. Let that we're be. I rode. I rode my ox cart to school. <laughs> Got out of the ox cart, tied up my ox, and went in and learned to type on. Like a green screen Mac, Apple thing. I was going to ask Apple Two E. If it was like a computer, like from War Games, that like takes up the entire room. It's like a giant metal box. <laughs> yeah, I'm envis- Doug. You are typing poorly. I'm envisioning something like one of those computers from that old AMC show, Halt and Catch Fire. I don't watch that show, but I like the name of it. Never heard of it. Because it sounds like it's, it's Command. It's a show about three computer programmers in the 1980s who. Like a ragtag team of computer programmers who try to like design like this sp- this special computer, and they end up designing internet programs and things like that. It's a fun like little four season series. Sounds like it's about robots. Yeah, there's a lot of robot stuff going on too that we haven't been able to talk about. Um, Pity. Ten hours a day. Let's say only a week's worth of work. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's seventy hours. What are we paying him? What are we paying this guy to type it up? I I would think since high profile, maybe in a lot of legal jargon, maybe thirty bucks an hour. No. Uh, more or less? You think? More. More? Okay. You can't have typos in this. $100 an hour. $100 an hour times 70 hours, that's yeah. $7 million. Is that right? Can we <laughs> double check that? If, if it can't be typos, you also have to add in a proofreader. Oh, my wife could spell check that. There you go. Ooh, she does do some independent 
editing, some freelance editing, I'm going to get her on that. Yeah. Oh, we're sending it out to a freelance editor. It's this lesmerizing. <laughs> Man. <laughs> um, all right, so they're paying that person $70,000? Seven grand. Seven grand? God, I, I got it wrong for real. Yeah. All right, $1.6 million plus 7000 7, equals $1.6 million, 7000 Wait, you said $70 an hour is 70 hours. It's I think that's forty nine hundred dollars. No, it's a hundred dollars an hour. Oh, hundred. Okay. All right, that's worth it. What are it. we talking about? <laughs> edit this in the in the post. Freaking edit this, Landis. We don't know, and that's about it. I mean, I don't I don't know what else we're gonna say. When there's updates, we'll do emergency pods. Um, but I don't know. I, I think it could go a variety of ways. I think there's a lot of details that matter here that we don't know. Uh, I think there's a distinction between something that you could have done better, something that you did wrong, and something that is a fireable offense. I think there's uh, a standard that did they reach the standard that it was in place, and there might be a new standard that Ohio State could aspire to. There's a lot at play here. Um, and I've been talking to some people. You know, I will say that one part of this that that I think is is valid is I was talking I had about a forty minute conversation with an employment law family law expert the other night and I had another forty minute conversation with someone from a domestic violence center in Ohio, um, and both were very illuminating and I'm going to bring all that together in a column sometime this week uh, and the person from the domestic violence center said like you know there's a million things here of course of course we're writing about the Ohio State stuff. Because this this involved the Ohio State um, blank academic department, we wouldn't be writing about it. So we can't pretend that this is just about domestic violence. It's about domestic violence because it involves football. And that's just the way it is. Um, that, that, that firing people, that firing Zach Smith then or firing anybody now is like a magic pill to solve this bigger issue is a point that she brought up, which is of course, but I, I do think that if 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 you have very strong opinions about how Ohio State handled this, and if you believe they handled it incorrectly, and if you have very strong opinions about how people should be punished for that, um, I do think within that even even that, and that's not everybody's opinion. Even with that opinion, I think there's a subset of a discussion that is. Would firing Zach Smith and, and Ohio State just saying, see you later, like you're fired, see you later, you're not our problem anymore, like, and not doing anything else, is that the proper solution, the best solution? Not by what the protocols say, but by what you would aspire to do to do the best thing for people in need and for your university. And, and that's not a magic pill. It's, it might be a reasonable thing to do. It's not a magic pill. So I think there's there's so many parts of this, um, and we're going to keep writing about it. If we think we have angles, if we think we have things that are new and interesting and, and important, we're going to contribute that to the discussion. But at some point, you kind of know what we know because we haven't learned a whole lot lately, and not a lot of people are talking about stuff. And do we want to get to the one question that is a side, side, side question of this? <clears throat> but is one that we have gotten numerous times and we feel like we should address to some degree. Sure. So we got asked a, a few times. I just picked this one out at random. Um, it was from uh, Twitter handle VA Buckeye uh, asked, 
Uh, why does it seem like the media is giving Brett McMurphy, who broke this story, a free pass for misspeaking, in parentheses he says multiple edits, um, in his article that suggests Meyer knew and then saying, quote, he has no direct evidence that Meyer knew, but there's no benefit of the doubt for Meyer when he's hit by a surprise question at media days. Now, I think it's a good, I think it's a good question, an important one. I want to address the second part of it first about Meyer being hit with a surprise question at media days. I would disagree with that. I don't think anything about this was a surprise to him. I know he said that he was not adequately prepared in his statement. Um, he had 24 hours before he was had to face the media in Chicago from the time the story broke to the time he got asked the first question. It was 23 hours. Um, he about, knew, about 14 hours since Zach Smith's firing was announced. Right. He knew he was going to be asked about it. There was nothing surprising about it. Um, he was asked at the podium at Big Ten Media Days, and then he was asked in a breakout session. Like, you know you're getting asked questions in those settings. And the first time he was asked was myself and Tim May in the hallway, and we did not ambush him. We walked up to him, like, just to describe it, like, we walked up to him slowly. Okay, was, I'll be Urban Meyer. Boy, this coffee's good. I'm enjoying the, uh, I'm going to enjoy the questions only about football I'm going to get today. Da, 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 da. Tim May approaches. Actually... I'm lying. Urban kind of like we kind of like Urban saw us and like knew what the deal was. So like we walked toward each other. Um, hey, fellas. He shook Tim's hand. I think maybe gave him a fist bump. He didn't give me a fist bump. We're not that close. Um, hey, Timbo. Hey, big fella. Tim said, uh, Urban, do you have a few minutes to talk about this? Yep. And he knew what this meant. There was nothing surprising. No ambush about it. Um, and to be clear, at this point in the story, I was in the shower. Correct. Okay. So I would disagree. Tim was eating a muffin. Yep. Urban was not surprised by the questions at Media Day. I will entertain, though, the idea that Urban in some way was under the idea that we were asking about an arrest, which was erroneously reported initially by Brett McMurphy because of a bad police report he was given by the Powell police. Um, I think that is a plausible thing for Urban to stand on, that the report said there was an arrest. He thought he was being asked about an arrest, but I'll also say this. He was asked, what was it, four questions at the podium, or was it five questions at the podium? Uh, uh, four. And then four in the breakout session. Yes. And then probably three related to 2015 in the two-minute conversation myself, Tim May, and Dan Murphy had with Urban in the hallway, the word arrest was not said by anybody. The word arrest was not said by anybody. And, so, there's, and that's, you can look at the videos on YouTube of the Big Ten podium, of Doug's four questions to Urban in the breakout, and of the two-minute conversation <laughs> that we had with him in the hallway. You can listen to all of it, and you'll see that, you'll hear and see that the word arrest was not said. So I just think that's important to state, as people are arguing, he thought he was being asked about an arrest. I find that perfectly plausible. I just want it to be known that the word arrest was not said in any of the questions. Right. It's possible. I guess it's possible he thought that. He he wasn't. He wasn't. Right. <laughs> but, and the other thing is, again, like the idea of you asked the first question when he was at the podium. That was not the first time. People might not know that. That was a follow-up. Because I, I asked him in the hallway. Tim, Tim May asked, like, how did you come to this decision? Where do you go from here? And then I asked him specifically, Urban, were you aware of the alleged incidents with Zach Smith in 2009? Or 2015. And he gave his answer to 2009, which was the same answer he gave at other moments throughout the day. And then he said what he said about 2015, about not knowing about it and suggesting that it had been made up. And when I got 
back into the media room. It got cut off after that, basically, because Herman had to go do TV for ESPN, I think. So I did not get to ask my follow-up, which is the question I asked at the podium, which was, you said you knew about 2009, you said you looked into 2015 and you didn't find anything. Why did you fire Zach now? So that and, and the answer was still kind of the same, but I just right. want to be clear. Like the first question I asked at the podium was not the first time he had been asked that question that day. Yep. And there's no way, there's no way that he didn't know he was going to get asked about it. So I mean, that's so now. But and I will say this <laughs> again in an attempt to make everything about me. Urban Meyer is a smart, prepared guy. Urban Meyer has done these things a million times. I think Urban Meyer knew what he was going to be asked, and Urban Meyer still feels like he didn't handle it the right way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I just did that. I've done a million radio interviews. It's not the same thing, but like the idea of like, I know the topic, I know what I'm going to be asked. I've done it a million times. I'm pretty good at it, and I screwed it up. Like, you know, stuff happens. Now, you know, he, he could have cleared things up in sooner than 10 days. But um, that's why I just don't think – I don't think he's going to be fired for that. I don't think could, that's yeah. – that's, but, but also, like, not – I don't know what other word you use, but, like, he's not a victim there either. Like, oh, Urban Meyer, he didn't know he was going to get these questions, and, and the questions confused him or whatever. It's like, okay, like, I, that's, that's not it. Yeah. Like, we're not, we're not saying it was the worst thing ever, but come on. Like, you know, it, it's okay. It's okay. But but it's not that that he was spun in a circle um, and had no idea what was happening and and just was saying words that yep. he had no idea were coming out of his mouth. As far as the McMurphy stuff, this is complicated to think a, a little bit by the fact that he's writing on his Facebook page. And um, again, he was. And it's funny. I did a podcast last week with Jay Crawford, who was also part of the ESPN layoffs that Brett McMurphy was part of. And these guys like don't have jobs right now. And it's because they're not allowed to have jobs. They're getting paid by ESPN because they were laid off in April of 2017. I think they had 18 months left on their deals or whatever it is. I don't know the exact timetable, but they're being paid by ESPN, but under a non-compete clause which says you cannot be paid by other people. Now, Jay Crawford's done a little bit of work here and there that's gotten cleared by ESPN. But the reason Brett McMurphy is not writing this for a major national outlet it's because he's not allowed to. It's not like nobody would hire Brett McMurphy. He's going to get a big time job next week. He's supposed to, and yeah. and which is why he's doing it. Like he's, you know, he's trying to stay in the game a little bit. Um, we don't cover Brett McMurphy. We cover Ohio State. Everything is worthy to be discussed. We don't believe that. The way we're covering, listen, we're not responsible for anybody else's coverage. We'll tell you, I think, some of the national coverage, some of the national columns, some of the way ways that people have written about it, I think, has been over the top. Um, and we've tried not to be that. But I do think the fact that Brett McMurphy, I'm assuming, I don't, you know, if you were working, if we were writing this, the stuff we write for Cleveland.com, our editors are part of the discussion about what we're writing, what we're reporting, and they read it. When we write it, um, that's different on a Facebook page. And I, I do think his story, can you ver- explain the verification of the stuff that's been on his Facebook page? If he did report arrest, he did write arrest. And that was not because he made that up. It's because the police reports that he got, and he was the first person to get, were wrong. That That's, yeah. And I don't, 
maybe I'm wrong on this, but I'm pretty certain. I'm pretty sure eleven warriors talked to the police chief of the Pow Police, and he admitted that yes, that there was incorrect information on the initial report obtained by Brett McMurphy. That the arrest box was, was checked, checked, and McMurphy has explained that in his stories. Right, and then the reports we got, it was not checked. The reports everybody got after that because he wasn't arrested. Um, but in the initial story, it did say he was arrested for uh, domestic abuse and felonious assault. I think were the two charges. Yes. Um, Obviously, that was incorrect, and it had to be corrected in a story. It was edited in Brett's story on Facebook, and if you click on the post, there's a thing at the top. It's like three dots. You click on it, and you can say – you can click on show edit history, and it will show you everything as it's been written and edited. He changed it without acknowledging that he changed it, and that's obviously a very important piece of that initial report that right. came out. Um, so – I, th- I think he did explain it, how the bo- there was an arrest box check, but he didn't say, correction, right, right, right. this story has been edited to show that the initial wording of an arrest was incorrect. Zach Smith was never arrested or charged. He was just whatever by the police. Right. Investigated, I guess, would be the right And word. that would yeah. be, I think we would do that. We would have to do that, yeah. Because our bosses would make us. Yeah. Yes. So that doesn't... That doesn't, but but our understanding again, we were the ones there asking the questions. We were with Urban Meyer all along the way, hallway, podium, one on one session, and and our attempt, all we were trying to do was get clarity. So so yeah, and I think at least at least on my part, um, the reason I did not ask about an arrest specifically, and I don't think at any point on Cleveland.com's coverage we wrote that Zach Smith was arrested. It's because it was unclear. We couldn't find any record of it. Um, it's right. Not like, it's not that we thought Brett McMurphy was making something up. We just we, we couldn't get the report that he had, and we, t- we did not get it until, I guess it was about 4 p.m. that Tuesday after Urban was done talking. Um, so we didn't write a rest, and I never asked about an arrest because I wasn't clear that there was one. What it, <laughs> I was looking at my phone for a second. I thought you just said, we didn't write our ass. You said we didn't write arrest. Arrest. Yeah, I might have. I might have written arrest. All right, that's it. I don't know. There's anything else. Anybody else have anything to say about that? I think. Ju- I think just the point that, like, I. I think Brett McMurphy in in his initial reporting, and frankly, like, sort of the way he's acted a little bit on social media, I think has invited scrutiny that I think is warranted. The point of all of this is, did Urban Meyer know or not know about something in 2015 related to Zach Smith? And, like, the story that started all of this was a story that said Urban knew and Urban admitted to knowing. So, like, that's all I care about. Does that make sense? The story, the 2009 story. Right. right. The 2015. And Urban so admitted pe- people, to know. I think people, oh, are, right, I think right, people right. are trying to use Brett's mistake and the way he's acted, sort of presented himself um, and frankly, the way he's described his journalism was a little journalism a little bit like to completely discredit all of his reporting. Right. And I think for Ohio State fans who were concerned about Urban Meyer's job status, the only thing that should matter is Brett McMurphy reported on August first that Urban Meyer knew about an alleged domestic abuse incident with Zach Smith in 2015, and then Urban admitted he knew about it. That's true. So now it's in Ohio State's hands. And we spent a long time in the ten days in between saying, "Well, are we sure that Urban knew?" Like Brett McMurphy was basically was reporting Urban knew. Or, or saying Shelly knew and then was sort of saying, like, well, I don't have direct stuff, but how did he not know? And, like, I, I was like, well, I guess maybe he didn't know. It was but then flim- Urban it, said it was, he did know. It was flimsy. Like, I like, I thought it was flimsy because there was no direct line to Urban. And then Urban's like, yeah, I know. And so. Like, okay. Right. Here we are. So. Yeah. So the facts. 
Public relations matters in this. The facts matter more. The facts, the facts don't change. The facts are always the facts. It's what you know about the facts and when you know them about the facts. So the facts, the facts don't change. And I, I, again, I'm operating, we're operating under the assumption that the investigation is going to get to the facts and the facts are going to be what decides what happens. So we said we are going to talk about that for 10 minutes. God. <laughs> Welcome back to the people who just fast-forwarded through that stuff, waiting until we said either farts for the uh, reviews or Michael Jordan snapping, which is what we're going to talk about when we get to the depth chart. Tim, do you have any farts? What are farts? Five-star approved reviews for today. Five-star approved reviews for today. I admit I was not prepared because I assumed we were going to get to other stuff before we got to the farts, so give me one minute to load this Great. up. Now it's just going to load up a fart. Give him a second. <laughs> another situation where someone is not prepared for the question asked. Yeah. That's a joke. It's an epidemic. Right, give me one minute. I got the reviews up on my phone. Scrolling through again. If you're on iTunes, feel free to leave us a five-star review. Say whatever you want. Are people dropping reviews at the moment while this is going on, or are people uh, taking gotten, a break? Maybe we've got one or two. I think we've had one in the last week. We're still a composite five-star. Here we though. go. From Deep Dub Swim. Calls us the three Bucksketeers. I don't like that. <laughs> he says, absolutely cannot get enough Buckeye talk and often am left wanting more. Each of you, Doug, Bill, and Tim, bring great perspective and insight that is refreshingly non-biased or Homerish. I listen to pretty much anything Buckeye related and cringe when the writers slash personalities are predictable and unoriginal. You gentlemen are dubbed the Bucksketeers because you protect the integrity of what reporting the Scarlet and Gray truly means. Looking forward to your next ShopOhioState.com sponsored podcast. Whoop, whoop. I believe that's. I believe that might be a seg- perfect segue. I believe that might be a segue. Thank you for that review. Who was it? D Dubs. D Dubs Swim. D Dubs Swim. Again, you guys can drop reviews uh, at iTunes, and you can tell us like how you think. We're, like we're I said, you know, life. I mean, we can make this a t-shirt slogan. Life is not all chicken fingers and robots. Sometimes, True. sometimes you got to get down in the nitty gritty. So we appreciate that. And we appreciate shopohiostate.com, the finest website on the internet. Am I going to say that I've been to every web address on the internet? Yeah, I am. And I'm going to say in the top 10. In the top 10, like Cleveland.com's up there. What's one of the good ones? Tim, probably there's like one that has like Simpsons clips. You probably would put that in the top 10. Bill, phillysoftpretzels.com, probably in your top 10, right? Owned and operated by me. In the top 10, shopohiostate.com. You know why it's in the top 10? There's two things that I like about shopohiostate.com. One is that the name tells you what you're going to do on the website. (laughs) It would be like if Cleveland.com was called readsportstories.com. You're going to shop Ohio State. And why are you going to do that? It's because it's the Barnes & Noble Ohio State University Bookstore. It's right there in the heart of it all, on High Street, on the corner of 11th and High. Like, Depending the angle that you come into campus, the Barnes & Noble Ohio State University Bookstore is your entryway to the universe of Ohio State. When I go to Disney World, when you drive into Disney World, they have a giant thing across the road that says, like, welcome to Disney World, and, like, Mickey Mouse is on it and stuff. In Columbus, 
the Ohio State University Barnes & Noble Bookstore serves as that welcome. It welcomes you to Ohio State's campus. So you know what I do sometimes? If there's no traffic, I like to pull over on the side of the road, take a picture with the Mickey Mouse welcome. If you're coming into campus, if you're coming up High Street, pull over, go in to the Ohio State University Barnes & Noble Bookstore, and let them welcome you to Ohio State's campus. Why? Big glass windows. It's one of those things that makes you... I like going to college campuses, and one of the things I like about college campuses is bookstores. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love wandering around bookstores, and they've got all kinds of variations of, of gear and apparel and notebooks and pencils and magnet, all this stuff for that university. That's what you want to do here. It, well, it, in, it imbibes you with that feeling that here we are. Now, you can get that walking around and looking at trees and stuff, too. But I, I, I don't want to look at a tree. I want to be in a building and looking at stuff I can buy. The Ohio State University Barnes & Noble Bookstore is that thing for you. And here's the thing. If you can't get to campus... To do that, if you go to shopohiostate.com, you can get that same feeling on that website because they have everything. They got the fleece, like you're thinking fall, right? Maybe you're thinking fall. They got fleece. They got sweatshirts. You're thinking still, oh, well, you know, summer's not over yet. I'm hanging on by the, you know, t-shirts, shorts, tank tops, like upscale gear. Want to wear it to work. Want to wear it to the office. Got that. Very cool, high-quality stuff from a million different um, outlets that, that, that make Ohio State stuff. Nike. Um, Cutter and Buck. Cutter and Buck. So you want to go there. You want to go there online at shopohiostate.com. When, you when you're in Columbus, you want to go there to experience the bookstore feel. They give you that great feel. They're conveniently located. There's parking right behind. Sometimes it's hard to park on High Street. There's a parking garage right behind Gateway where you can go in very cheap, park there, get a little vibe. But you can't get a feel for Ohio State without going to the Ohio State University Barnes & Noble Bookstore. And if you're not there and you're looking for that Ohio State feel, shopohiostate.com will give it to you, even if you just want to browse. We want you to buy stuff because we appreciate their sponsorship and they offer high-quality goods. But even if you want to browse, go browse. Get an Ohio State feel. And when you're in the mood to buy, you want to buy from the Ohio State University Barnes & Noble Bookstore and shopohiostate.com. Depth chart. Oh. So I missed the open window on Tuesday to look at stuff because I was in Cleveland filming a boomerang segment. And if that's not a tease for the second episode of Cleveland sports tonight, which will be dropping shortly, I don't know what is. Did you get to throw a boomerang? Yeah. What's, what's a boomerang? Segment? Yeah. Did I get to throw a boomerang? Hell yeah. I got to throw a boomerang. Like in the confined space of the studio. No, we were at Edgewater park. Oh, I we used to live there. Vertical street. Really? Yeah. Lovely. It's real, it looks like a real beach, doesn't it? Did you ever look out your window and see a guy throwing a boomerang? Can't say I have, no. Because if you did, it was this guy. Yeah. There's a guy from Northeast Ohio who's like the best boomerang guy in, a, in America. The, he just came from the World Cup of Boomerangs in New Mexico. There's too many World Cups. Now, why you got to be like that? What would you call it? Uh, nothing. Boom. 
boomerang playtime. I have no idea. <laughs> so I said, do you rang your boom? Do you boom your rang? Like, what's the, what's the vernacular? Um, but what we did is we threw boomerangs. This guy's name was Logan Broadbent. We threw boomerangs. He showed us all the different types of throws. He did some trick stuff. He has 16,000 boomerangs that he owns. What? He owns the largest boomerang collection in the world. That's crazy. Um, and he's from Northeast Ohio. I used to have a boomerang. Really? I went to Australia and bought one. I said to him, how can the Australians not be the number one country in the world in boomerang? Everybody in Australia must hate you like the United States is taking down yeah. Australia. And he basically said that the Australians are too drunk at the World Cup <laughs> and they show up hungover. And I said, you're saying they show up hungover? He said, no, 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 no. They just like to have a good time. Yeah. So that's what it's like to be at. So are you sure? Are you sure that you don't want to go to New Mexico for the Boomerang World Cup and hang out and have a good time? That actually feels like a very landish thing to me to do. Yes, I've changed my mind. I'll be there. When is it? Is it tomorrow? It already happened. Uh, So anyway, that's what I was doing. And so Cleveland Sports Tonight, if you haven't watched, it's on the Cleveland.com YouTube channel. Or just search for Cleveland Sports Tonight debut episode. I swear to God, it's the only sports talk show about Cleveland that's out there. Because if there's another one, then we're in trouble because it's probably better than ours. But we're gonna keep, we're gonna get better. There's a monologue. There's a band. There's guests. The band's good. There's everything else is fine, but the band's good. I am intimately involved with every aspect of the show <laughs> except the band. Fake commercials, all kinds of stuff, and uh, the two guests for the second episode are the Boomerang guy and Tyvis Powell. Ooh, nice. So that is of interest to our Ohio State fans. The first episode was a poet and a guy from the Indians. Tyvis Powell, we filmed it a while ago before he went to camp. Great Richard Sherman story, he told. <laughs> so we got to get this episode up, hopefully soon. Um, I'll tweet it out when it comes, but just look for it. Cleveland Sports Tonight, Boomerang stuff. So while I was ranging my boom and booming my rang, what were you guys doing watching practice? What would you see? Ryan Day and a boomerang. <laughs> Uh, not, not, uh, actually, you know what, I probably, probably more than I anticipated, given, <coughs> given we watched about 30 minutes, and probably 10 minutes of that was stretching, maybe almost 15 minutes of that was stretching, um, the thing I was most interested in is, like, what was Ryan Day doing as the acting head coach, and the answer is, like, kind of nothing out of the ordinary, um, he stuck with the offensive players and the quarterbacks during, Warm-ups, he stayed on the far end of the field from us with the quarterbacks in the three periods we got to watch. He did not have the team like huddle around him and address them before practice. That was Mickey Marotti, the strength coach, who did that. Um, and we have a Mickey Marotti point to yes, talk about. Yes, Um But Ryan Day, like, I, I, I turned to Ari uh, and Austin Ward and I said, like, you know how sometimes the assistant coaches like wear one color and everyone wears a different one? Do you think that's by design or just how it works out? And it's like, oh, I never thought of that. But I would ask that because I wonder like if we were going to show up and like Ryan Day was going to be in a nice shiny white Ohio State pullover, and he wasn't. There was nothing to distinguish him from the rest of the assistant coaches like in the way he acted or the way he dressed, which um, I think is what I expected. But I just wanted to see it with my own two eyes to confirm it. So um, I think like practice is continuing. As normal, just sort of without Urban talking to the guys beforehand, without Urban like meandering throughout the practice and, and picking random guys to talk to. It's all scripted. It was all scripted before any of this happened. Um, so they're just proceeding with business as usual. And it felt to me, um, minus the fact that Urban wasn't there, and obviously it's a noticeable absence, it felt pretty normal in terms of the way they had things structured. Tim, and we're going to get into the structure and... A Mickey Marotti point that, that that Bill and I figured out last night, and I think you guys will find very interesting because 
because we had done a long video on Friday when we were at the first day of practice and we couldn't do anything. You just, they didn't let us in. They didn't let us talk to anybody. And we were just two men standing in a parking lot. And we were talking about what Ryan Day has to do to lead this team. And we have a point about that. Tim, watching the players, what was the number? What, we can't tell how good anybody is from 15 minutes. Actually, I walked away thinking 11 and 1. That's just. Where's the loss, hater? Rutgers. <laughs> Week two? Yeah. Are you trying to out Rutgers take my Rutgers take from my second podcast? No. Should we call NJ.com right now? <laughs> Should we get the Rutgers beat writers on here yeah. to comment on this? If they're listening to this, and, and I'm going to tell you, I think we're pretty good at our job. I'm not sure anybody in the Big Ten covers a Big Ten team better than NJ.com covers Rutgers. Yeah. Keith Sargent. And James Cratch, I think, is the new, the guy, new guy because there have been some other guys who have moved through there and have moved up in their structure. They've gone on to cover the Giants and that kind of thing. Keith Sargent is excellent, and they've always had other good guys. And Steve Politi, I think, is one of the best sports columnists in America. So the only problem for NJ.com is that Rutgers sucks. <laughs> um, but if those guys are listening to this podcast, they might aggregate this into a post because they're on top of everything. They do little things. They do big things. They do investigations. That's it's, true. I take it back because I don't actually think that. I don't, I don't want a headline on NJ.com. No. you Take it, NJ.com. Rutgers stinks. Bill Landis. No, no. That's, <laughs> no, that's fine. I, just don't want to, I, I don't want them to write that. I oh, no, no. Rutgers will beat them. Rutgers stinks. Doug Maurice. For all we know, Rutgers. Tim Bielek. Rutgers will beat Ohio State, Bill Landis. That's the story. <laughs> Tim, what stood out? What was the number one thing? Basically, depth chart stuff. Could you see guys line up? What was the number one thing that jumped out? Michael Jordan took snaps at center. It was something we really saw at the end, but in kind of the last two minutes before we were kind of ushered out, ushered away from the facility was they had line drills. It was like tackle, guard, center. Michael Jordan was over at center taking snaps. What was the first team line, like the first thing you guys saw? Was Brady Taylor the center? So, like, we, in the, in the the bit that we got to watch, they never went, like, full five-man offensive line. Okay. So, like, you try to glean some stuff about who's line or who's where on the depth chart, but, like, how guys line up in drills. Yes. Um, so, like, the first drill they did, Brady Taylor was among the first five. Okay. It was Prince... Knox, Taylor, Pridgen, or no, sorry, Taylor, Jordan, Munford. Right to left. Right to left. And Prince, I, right tackle. Knox, Knox right, guard, right guard. Taylor, center. Jordan, left guard. Munford, left tackle. And okay. That, and that goes along with stuff we'd seen on social media, like the Instagram post I think you mentioned a couple days ago had Thayer, left tackle. The video I posted of Tommy Togiai throwing aside Josh Myers, I believe Thayer Munford was at left tackle on that play. Yeah, so, Thayer Munford's left tackle. Where Where is Brandon Bowen? He has been like it's weird. It's like he's cleared, but he's kind of not cleared. Like I think if they wanted to throw him into contact drills right now, the doctors would say that's okay. Um, but I think they're taking it slow with him. Do you imagine that that when? Um, okay, so so the question is the question is this, right? Could we see a world where in the end Michael Jordan slides to center and becomes the first-team center. Brady Taylor goes to the bench and is one of the top backups. Mm -hmm. And the Jordan thing is the most interesting thing there. 
But if in the end, if Jordan does that, who do you guys think is the other starting guard with Demetrius Knox? It was Malcolm Pridgen on this day. Yes. Who will it be in the end on against Oregon State? If Michael Jordan's the starting center against Oregon State, who are the two starting guards? Knox and Bowen, I think. Knox and either I want professional. Bowen or Bowen or possibly Myers. No radio. I don't think it's Josh Myers. No. Josh, Josh Myers went from second team. In this scenario, Josh Myers is going from second team center to third team center. He's not going to become a first team guard. Okay. No, it's between. Do you think they like Pridgen? What do you think yes. they think of Pridgen? I think they like Pridgen. I think he's had uh, some bad luck with injuries. And, like, it just had to be coached up a little bit. Like, maybe he wasn't quite ready as they hoped he would be when he came from Juco. But I think they're at the point now where they like him. So I think, I actually think, and, like, Urban mentioned Wyatt Davis with, like, unprompted at Big Ten Media Days. Yeah. I think he might be in the mix, too. But, um,. Bowen won it last year, so I would say that as long as he's healthy, he'd win it again. Where? What was the year that? What was Pridgen's first year here? 2016. So in 2016, Larry Johnson went and got this JUCO guy from New York, right? Is that where Pridgen's from? Isn't it New York? It was Stud, but yeah. Why did I say Larry Johnson? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Stud went and got this JUCO guy from New York, and they had enough change and need on the offensive line that we thought maybe Malcolm Pridgen was like going to come from junior college and fight to play right play, away. Yeah. And then he got hurt. Yes. And then he missed the whole year. Yep. And then, but there was also, it seemed like, okay, he's not, like, it's not quite as, it's not happening quite as quickly. Listen, junior college is not Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, what as what happens here a lot, there are guys that were like, oh, 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 oh. And then they sort of, they something happens and there's always three other guys ready to fill your spot at Ohio State and it's easy to vanish. And he vanished a little bit. But he's back. Mm-hmm. But then this is a guy that when they got him, they were pretty excited about. At a time of need, they went out to get Malcolm Pridgen because they liked a lot about him. Yeah, and I think – I'm trying to think. I guess the timing didn't quite sync up. I guess like Michael Jordan was a starter as a true freshman that year. Um, yeah, it I think But that- it didn't direct like, – because he, he got here before Pridgen. Mm-hmm. But I think there was some thought like, oh, Michael Jordan is a starting left guard coming out of spring, but Malcolm Pridgen's coming in the summer. Yes. But and, and then, we wrote that, a million. That t- battle never happened, right? And Malcolm Pridgen just so that Malcolm Pridgen is that's a name worth knowing. Yeah. Even if we think Bowen at full availability, they're no longer being careful with him. That's a guy who won a starting job last year, who beat out Demetrius Knox, who beat out Malcolm Pridgen already. And Matt Burrell, yeah. Why would he? Why? What has changed in that? Now, what's changed in there to some degree is that Demetrius Knox came in when Brandon Bowen got hurt, and did a really good job. So. <coughs> What I want to recap also, you had, or Urban Meyer, you've been on this Michael Jordan snapping thing. Mm-hmm. Urban Meyer was asked about it at Big Ten Media Days. Recap for the people what that discussion was, that, or what Urban Meyer said about Michael Jordan. He admitted that, that Jordan had been snapping a little bit. He said Jordan didn't snap at all in the spring, but he had done some this summer. But But he presented it as, like, just protecting against an injury at the position because in his mind you have to have four guys who can snap in the program, he said. Um, and at the moment, like coming out of spring, I think they really only had two because the emergency center, emergency center was Matthew Burrell, and he transferred to Sam Houston State right um, back in May. So they only had two in in the middle of May. They had two centers on the roster. Well, I guess three because they have Matthew Jones as a true freshman. 
but they needed a fourth. And the way that Urban talked about Michael Jordan snapping was like he was going to be the fourth guy just so they can have four because they like to have four. Um, which I think is good. And we've seen that. We've seen other guys snap at practice and you just know they're snapping because they're like an emergency guy. I don't think you put the emergency guy with the first team offensive line on the fourth day of camp. This is reminding me of what the Browns just did. Because what the Browns... Who's Ohio State's best offensive lineman? It is a conversation between Isaiah Prince and Michael Jordan. I think it's probably Michael Jordan. Who would you vote, Tim? I'd say Michael Jordan. I'd say Michael Jordan. The Browns' best offensive lineman is Joel Batonio. And he's their left guard. He's been their left guard. Why, they, why would you move your left guard? Because you need to. And because you have better options... For other people who can be a rough facsimile of that great player at left guard, but that player is great enough that he's going to be the best person for sure at his new position. So the Browns moved Joel Petonio from left guard to left tackle. Like on the fifth day of camp. And it wasn't what they wanted to do, but it, they felt like it's what, it's what they had to do. And by all reports, Joel Batonio has been doing a good job in camp at left tackle. He's still probably a better left guard than he is a left tackle, but he looks like he might be a good left tackle, and they need a left tackle. Michael Jordan is moving the opposite way, but it's the exact same thing. You're taking your best player in a position group and moving him out of his best position, the, the position that he's played his whole career. But you're doing it because that guy's so good it's going to make you a better team to move him. And you have more options at his position, and he's clearly the best option at the new position. So I don't know if it's what they want to do. I don't think Joel Petonio to left tackle was what the Browns wanted to do. But it's what the Browns felt like they had to do. And this is not this is a couple minutes that you guys saw Michael Jordan snapping. But that theory is there. It's not what we want to do, but it might be what they feel like they have to do to be the best team they can be. And this whole five best linemen thing, thats that's everybody has that discussion. So, of course, I mean, every football team in the world has that discussion. They're having it in Cleveland. They're having it in Columbus. Yeah, and yeah. it's also not the first time that's happened for a Nurbermeyer team. I was just doing a little <laughs> digging while you were talking. Florida had the Pouncey twins back at the end of Urban Meyer's tenure. Marquise Pouncey and Mike Pouncey, both were first-round picks. Marquise went to the NFL after the 2009 season, and Mike Pouncey was a right guard. He was, a, I believe, a, look at this, a second-team APL American. They had to move into center. He he obviously wasn't considered as highly. He was only, like I think, second-team APL SEC. I remember watching the first game. He had some struggles, like snapping and immediately pulling, which – is what Urban Meyer asked his centers to do with Florida. He, he had adjusted, but he had to make that adjustment. But Mike ended up being a first-round pick, I believe, as well um, in the NFL draft, number 15 overall to the Miami Dolphins, which was actually uh, three spots better than Marquise. And it's what happened here the last three years. Yeah. They had two Remington winners, and both of them were guys who moved over from guard. Now, that had been a plan in place that's, that, right, for a couple that, of years. That's different, um, and, and but it's I felt not like, unheard of. I felt like those were... Natural moves. When they said Billy Price and Pat Elfline were moving to center, it was like, yeah, okay, right. That wasn't. Were you surprised? Like, was that? 
No, but but only because it had been so evident. Like we had Billy Price has been snapping since he moved from defensive line to offensive line, and Pat Elfline had Pat Elfline was the number two center in 2014 when they won the national title. Right, right. Well, but so that's different than what Michael Jordan's doing. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That that yeah. that one is like you're really good at this. You know what? Like we can look at the roster and say you're probably going to be the center next year, and and that's not what this was. No, at least not that we know. Like as far as I know, Michael Jordan has never snapped, and there's certainly never been any conversation about it. And he's tall. He's six seven. He's he's just, I, at first look, he seems like whatever this means. Maybe this is just me being a dumb guy who doesn't know football. But like, yeah, it's like our Pat Elfline and Billy Price centers. It's like, yeah, they're centers. It's like, is Michael Jordan a center? It's like, I don't know. He, he kind of looks more like a tackle. I mean, he is. He has the body of a tackle. He came here. We all thought he was going to be a tackle, and he thought he was going to be a tackle. I talked to him about it in the spring, and now he might be the center. Yeah, so so this is more, I think, Billy Price and, and Pat Alfline, and, and, and I don't know the details of Pouncey. I think that's interesting. It's, it's the point of, again, you have great players, and they're so versatile and so good. They're going to be good wherever you do what you need to do. It's just the difference of this was not exactly a plan that was laid out ahead of time. This might be more like, well, we don't really have a choice. Jordan is six seven three ten. For comparison's sake, Brady Taylor is six five three zero two. And I do think, as we talk about this, like I still, I, don't, I think it's far from set that Michael Jordan's a starting center. Yeah, like Brady. Yeah. I think it's still Brady Taylor's job to lose. Actually, yeah, yeah. And we only saw, like you said, we saw a half hour of practice, and like BTN was there all day, and they tweeted out some videos too. They didn't tweet out everything they saw. It just so happened that the two videos they tweeted out of the full team offense had Michael Jordan in the center. What's the second most interesting position group thing? Uh, I read your like breakdown. The, the, safe, the safety spot. I know uh, the one that I'm interested in. Is it linebacker? Yeah. Um, the safety spot, the opposite Jordan Fuller, uh, Isaiah Pryor started there. Like they, went, they do a thing at the beginning where they go full – 11-man defense and practice returning interceptions for touchdowns. And like when the first first-team offense went out there, Isaiah Pryor was at safety next to Jordan Fuller. But I also think that's far from settled, too. I think everybody you think is in the mix there still is. I did notice Josh Proctor a little bit. He looks the part. I think he looks the part of a guy that if he's not if he's not going to start at safety, like he'll get on the field pretty quickly. Is he rangy? I have no idea. They all look the part to me. They're all five-star prospects. Everyone looks the part. Um, he look, doesn't Josh Proctor like look the part a little more as a safety than like a shorter? There's some shorter corners who are that safety. Yeah, he's right? got good size. Yeah, I didn't, I, I honestly didn't even I didn't notice Josh. I Josh asked you Proctor. if he was rangy. I don't know. I didn't make that him. decision. I did not. Can't you look at a player and say that guy's rangy? Yeah, I looked at Nick oh. Petit Frere. He looked rangy. <laughs> um, Is Nick Petit Frere the Chase Young of the offensive line? Yeah, like from last year, hundred percent. Like, hey, you're 18. You look like you should be in the NFL right now. Well, the thing about him is, like, he's like 280 something pounds. Like, he's going to add on 30 pounds. He's going to be a yeah. monster by the time he plays. Yeah, the weight. It's kind of scary to think about. The weight is the only thing for me that is the hesitation that he's going to be on the. The one thing that keeps me from thinking he's going to be on the field this year. I mean, he'll play. He'll play. But I mean, I, Petit Frere. He's going to be number two in the depth chart of one of the top. You'd obviously like him to be in the low three tens, I think, for an offensive lineman to to rely on him. Yeah, but to play, I don't think. But he'll play like Thayer Montford played last yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He'll be on the garbage field. time. Yeah, because he's not take, again, like take a snap on the most important snap of the season against Michigan when a guy gets hurt. Yeah, for like Nick Petit Frere is. Things happen. He's not going to be here five years. So I don't. I didn't want to have to do this publicly, but I feel like it's an important issue that needs to be addressed, and I think it's something that's not talked enough about enough in our society. And and I don't. I don't mean to call this person out by name, but I'm doing it for his benefit as well as for your benefit. We were at 
uh, Ohio State on Friday, and players were coming out here and there. And, and I admit it, I just don't know as many guys facially to recognize as I usually do because I'm not 100% locked in only on Ohio State. And so a player comes walking across the parking lot, and Ari, our friend Ari, is there. And uh, he starts saying, I said, well, who's that? And he says, like, that's Nicholas. He says, that's like the left tackle from Florida. Like, what do you mean you don't know who that is? How do you not know, know who that is? And what's the, what's the player's name that he said it, that it, he said it was? It's, it's because it wasn't the guy who's the left tackle from Florida. Oh, it was Tyler Friday? No, it was the other guy with the hyphenate name. Oh, Javante Jean-Baptiste. Okay. What's his guy? What's his name? Javante Jean-Baptiste. So, or G maybe. I don't know. I'm going to say Jean. Ari got confused between Javante Jean-Baptiste and Nicholas Petit Frere. Uh-huh. And that's Frenchist. Yeah. And I don't think that I can stand by as a lay Maurice and just allow that kind of Frenchism to go unchecked. And so I hope Ari learned from that, that listen, just because a guy is named Petit or Jean and has a hyphen in his name doesn't mean they're all the same, okay? I've dealt with that my entire life. Oh, you French guys are all the same. Everybody calls us Frenchy. Everybody makes jokes about French food and French bread and French plays. And at some point, someone has to stand up and say, enough Frenching. This will end. And today, I'm standing up and I'm doing that. And I hope I have your support, Bill and Tim. That was brave. brave, Very brave of you. I just got goosebumps. Also kind of dangerous territory to wait into. Frenchist! <laughs> Don't be a Frenchist. Don't be a Frenchist. Don't just see a hyphen. All right. Um, so here's the thing about Mickey Marotti. Oh, linebackers. Oh, yeah. Uh... Tough Borland was out there, like, doing some stuff, um, running around. Like, didn't – he looked fine to me. I don't know how much contact he's doing at the moment. I would I would imagine not very much. Um, Pete Werner was playing middle linebacker, too. <laughs> Delicious. Yeah. Which is – like, it's just – all it does to me is make it more confusing. Pretty confident Tough Borland's not going to play in the first handful of games, and now we're going to throw a third guy in the mix at middle linebacker with Justin Hilliard and Baron Browning. So where was Baron Browning when you guys saw him? Like, both spots, I felt like. I felt like he was doing a little bit of both. Did you feel like there was a, like, was there anything you could identify as, like, first-team linebackers, second-team linebackers? Or no, it, just felt like a were, bunch of guys it felt like they were mixing it up a lot. Like, the, like the only thing that felt solid with the first-team <coughs> linebackers was Malik Harrison. Um, I felt like he was out there, if not every time, most of the time. But I felt like the other two spots were rotating. Between Werner and Hilliard and Browning and Keandre Jones. So so you think it's Harrison and Borland. Do we think when Borland's healthy that those might be like the top two linebackers, whatever that means? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's like, that's like group A starters when healthy. Yes. Is that a fair assumption as from what we know? Then who's the next group that you would lump together? I don't – like, with the way Urban talks about him and the fact that they threw him a middle linebacker at practice yesterday, I would put Pete Werner maybe in that group. Pete Werner, Baron Browning in that group. Yes. Or I'm going to march yeah. on the office. And Keandre Jones. Yeah. Is there anybody else? And Justin Hill. You think Justin Hilliard's, like, really in that group? 
I think if he's healthy, he is, yeah, and he seems to be healthy. Okay. So, so that's – and is there anybody else that's in – so that's a top two and then another another four in the mix. Yeah, that's then, top then, you're six. Getting, then you're getting in the freshmen that I think aren't part of this conversation. Does that, does that sound reasonable to you, Tim? Yeah, I think oh, so. And oh. Pete Warner – Dante Booker. Was he, what was he doing? I don't know because I was like, where's 33? Where's 33? And then I looked at the roster like, oh, he's number 52 now. Oh. Um, so – 52 is out there, but I wasn't paying attention to 52 because I didn't know it was Dante Booker. Book? Book's 52. Yeah. Okay. One little note about Pete Warner. When they sent the fall camp roster on Friday, this was after Pete Warner had gained 20 pounds going into the spring. He was suddenly back down to 215. Ohio State confirmed him. Like, yes, it was a typo. So that would have been like really concerning if Pete Warner had suddenly oh, lost 20 pounds. I want to know his secrets. Yeah. Also, by the way, I think I saw this on the roster as well. There was a note. It said next to Pete Warner that's, that there was like an asterisk. And when you went down to the bottom of the roster, it said asterisk, Urban loves this guy. Yeah. Um, sometimes you just like there's a guy that it's like, boy, the coaches just, boy, the coaches sure love to talk about that backup. <laughs> boy, they love that backup. That backup sure gets a lot of praise. That backup must be a great backup. And then the season starts and he's starting and it's like, Oh, <laughs> we almost, we I feel like we almost need to start an or like uh, keep a list of the Urban Loves This Guy Club. Who's in it? Timbo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Pete Warner, it's, Tough Borland. It's Tim May and Pete Warner and Tough Borland. Tough Borland. JT Barrett. JT Barrett. John Simon. Oh yeah, John Simon. Who's and, and also uh, who's the guy from Wisconsin? Chris Borland. <laughs> Chris Borland. <laughs> like Urban Meyer got here and is like, well, you know, we're really excited. We went twelve and zero. I can't believe Chris Borland's from Ohio and went to Wisconsin. <laughs> what happened? You know, you know who reminds me of Chris Borland? Pete Warner. Tough Borland. No relation. <laughs> Everyone thought they were Get related out. when they when they got him. Like, oh, it must be Chris Borland's cousin or brother. Or if, something. if they had done hard knocks of Ohio State, or like they, they did some of the stuff Urban's first yeah. year behind the scenes, the the Buckeye story. Uh, I remember that scene where Urban was in the office and he was pounding his desk and he said, "I don't care about anything else. Go recruit a Borland. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care if he's four eleven, seventy six pounds. If his last name's Borland, he's on this team." And then they were like, uh, Urban, we found this guy who's a Borland. And Urban's like, what's his first name? And they said, his first name's Tough. <laughs> and he's like, what's his phone number? He's got a scholarship offer. And then they did the montage of Urban running to his car and driving to Illinois, yeah. knocking on the door, and Tough Borland's parents opening the door, and Urban Meyer, like the pizza guy, extending a scholarship card. We should probably talk about the pizza guy, too. I made a meme out of, I, I, what is the protocol of unintentionally memeing another human? I don't think you can be responsible for that. Because I think I memed him. It, it was his fault, though, because it's like his eyes were like kind of turned to the side. <laughs> it wasn't your fault. But as it turned out, the photo was a pretty good photo. Because it it's like the pizza yeah. is extending yeah. right out yeah. to you. I didn't even notice until like I saw your Twitter mentions that he was looking <laughs> off to the side. It was really weird. And I, I know you talked to the person who claimed to be the person... To call Papa John's, I believe. Yes, she had receipts. My only so it kind of takes away the theory that someone did this purposely as a troll job. It no, it absolutely it was. was a troll job. She's from Mississippi. She tweeted, "Someone needs to order Papa John's for these people." And then thirty minutes later, she ordered Papa John's <laughs> for these people. And then thirty minutes later, Papa John showed up. 
Um, and then the and internet blew up. And then the internet blew up. And then I did the best reporting that I've done so far in the Urban Meyer Zach Smith saga by uh, tracking down the person who ordered the Papa John's, who I also <laughs> thought was still trolling me. If you don't know what's going on, read the 400-word story I wrote about the rally, which basically this was my story about the rally. <laughs> It happened. 400 words of that because 200 people showed up and that's fine. Those people have a right. Th- listen, and this is one of the other things too is why I got a little it, – it teed, it teed me up to get ticked off in that interview because – it and it wasn't Sarah Spain. It was the other guy who I don't know who it is. What? What are you laughing at? I just – I try not to look at Instagram when we're doing a thing. My brother sent me something, and I looked at it, and it was really funny. Yeah? Can, Can you I say it or no? Is it, is it dirty? No. <laughs> no. It's, uh, oh, man, it just went away. Something about, uh, it was a, it was like a thing. You know, like these, it was a meme that had, was just written out, and it said, it said, <laughs> white people love to use the bathroom at restaurants right before they leave, then come out air-drying their hands saying, ready to rock and roll. <laughs> Brother said, "This is our dad." Every time we go to a restaurant, which is a hundred percent true. Now I'm looking at the photo of this guy. To me, like, he's got a great beard. To me, he looks like. Do you guys remember the show on Fox? It was on for a couple seasons. Sleepy Hollow. No. Is it that? So this guy looks like the headless horseman. No, he looks like Ichabod. he looks like Ichabod Crane. It's it's like a time travel type of show where he time travels from like the the 1700s and the Revolutionary War to present day. Because he has to stop the headless horseman. This guy looked like a guy who was trying to dress like a Papa John's delivery man. <laughs> yeah, just like Jim Harbaugh at Big Ten Media Day. Yeah. Looked like a guy trying to dress like Jim Harbaugh. Uh, interesting side note: my daughter played Ichabod Crane in the uh, school play. Nice. Um, so I feel bad about memeing a person, but but that's just life. Sometimes you get memed. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah that, guy, that guy was the poor victim of a troll job. No, I know. It's like he's a vic- He's just doing his job. He shows up with four large cheese pizzas to a dwindling rally. There's like 20 people left. He tried to give us the pizza. Yeah. What's happening in that photo is he's trying to give me pizza. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm not. I'm a journalist covering this. I'm not accepting pizza wherever it's from. Yeah. So I'm not taking the pizza. And so then he had to turn around and give it to somebody else. And I memed him. So the the thing that ticked me off in the radio interview is like, is the kind of thing that, like, radio people say. Well, you know, there's obviously people, a lot of people in Columbus are out, and it's like the 200 people. Do you know how many people? It's the 16th largest city in America. It's not West Lafayette. Yeah. It's the 16th largest city in America. There were 200 people in line at Chipotle at 6 o'clock. People didn't go down there and say people are protesting on behalf of Queso. Oh, what do you think? How good? It's just 200 people at a thing. I'm trying to do two things at once. I'm not diminishing the people who want to support their school and support their coach. And whether you agree or disagree, every major team in the world has fans who live and die with their team and the people around that team. And they want to show them support when times are tough. If you want to, like, make fun of them for that or whatever, that's fine. You have that right to do that. They're trying to support something they care about the best way they know how. Also, it doesn't matter. It is not representative. Here at Chipotle, 200 people have proven that everybody in Columbus eats Mexican food. Well, by the way, there's like 
a million people not eating at Chipotle right now, but that this place where I am standing, 200 people are eating Mexican food, which means everybody here eats Mexican food every meal of every day. I'm here, sir, um, you like queso. Do you think the fact that you like queso means that everybody in Ohio likes queso the most of any food? Yes, absolutely. People like like. People would be killing to stand in a 10-minute line to get this queso, and they're not, and that's why everybody wants to be here and to get this queso. Sir, uh, you are here. I've been told that when you go to Chipotle, you spend $16 on your order because you get double meat. The fact that you get double meat, does that mean that every person in the world gets double meat when they come to Chipotle? Yes. So that's not how life works. That's how I'm standing in front of a thing and I have to report on it works. So I know there are some stories out there that were like, and, and I can do, how many people were there? It's one of those things where as many media people was there, for, but there, at some point, yeah. there, there were 200 people there where there weren't 200 media people there at the start. There were there are 200 people there. They were doing a good chant. doesn't mean anything. So like, I don't, I just don't, Don't be an idiot. Have a way to understand the world that things happen, but the thing that's happening doesn't mean that thing is happening everywhere else. So it just bugs me, and then it got me in a bad mood about the thing. Here's what happens a lot with a lot about this, and it's like it's not about the media, but like cheesy media, cheesy, and I cliched media. And, and I know you've read it and listened to it and seen it on TV. Only time will tell what this terrible thing, which might not be terrible, which but could be terrible. But right now, people seem to think it's possibly terrible. Only time will tell how terrible this possibly terrible thing will be. Standing in front of the general area of where this thing is kind of not happening, I'm a dude whose company sent me here for no apparent reason. <laughs> you forgot You forgot another reason. And we're about to find out. And we're... Because I know you joked about that in like, the videos you guys shot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know it. We can all do it. So that's what, that's what bothers me about anything... Clichéd, stupid, non-informative, and if you think this applies to your coverage, if you think it, then it probably does. If you don't think it applies to you, then it probably doesn't apply to you. I think there's been a lot of good coverage of this. I think this needs to be covered. Like, this is not a, a personal issue that, like, just say, oh, well, no big deal. Blah, blah, blah. But also, I, I just wish people could be a little less clichéd and a little less... Um, Taking every little thing that happens as a sign of uh, of everything else that's happening. What I wrote down things we're gonna do. Marathi. God, we're still on Marathi. God, I thought we we're gonna yeah, go an hour we, and a half. We, went, we think, haven't gotten the questions yet. I, th I think we went on this tangent about the pop about the rally in Papa John's before we got back to Marathi. Marathi can be quick. Who's the head coach of Ohio State football right now, Bill? Mickey Marathi. Explain. So when he addressed the team before, Doug and I, had, like he said, we had a conversation in the parking lot, like, what's Ryan Day doing? How's he handling all this? Handling all this? And then when Mickey Marotti gathered the team around him and gave the message for the day before practice yesterday, I was like, oh, yeah, he's still here. 
And as much as we said, like, Greg Schiano is a close friend of Urban Meyer, and under different circumstances, he probably would have been named the guy. Like, nobody is closer to Urban on this staff in that building than Mickey Marotti. They're practically related. They've been together, for, they've been together since Urban was at Notre Dame a million years ago. He's Urban's most important hire. And the thing that Doug and I were talking about is, like, before every camp, they have a team dinner. Um, it's either the Woody or one of the – maybe it's at the Blackwell. Or at Chipotle. Or at Chipotle, where everyone eats. Um, and – Mickey Marotti gives Urban the key, like literally gives Urban a set of keys, and that's the symbolic of Marotti, who has the team from when spring ball ends through the summer until when camp starts. He's handing the team over to Urban, and what I said was that he just still has the keys. He hasn't given them to Urban yet, and I guess their anticipation is that he will at some point if and when Urban comes back. But for the moment, Marotti still Ryan Day is acting head coach. Mickey Marotti is holding the keys. And and that it's like we didn't and then it was like oh yeah we were just like at the same time we were both like oh yeah so really nothing has changed it's just been delayed yep mm-hmm. that's all and, and the, yeah the, the one thing that is interesting about the timing and I guess I'm not really trying to imply anything by this but the investigation wrapping up within 14 days if we're to assume that Urban keeps his job and doesn't have to serve any kind of suspension after that. It's right when you're hitting the point where Urban says you have to start getting game ready. And it's just like, I don't, maybe it's coincidental that that's when this is all going to wrap up and Urban can return to the team. But like these two weeks of camp are not about putting in game plans and Urban strategizing about how they're going to beat Oregon State and Rutgers with the coaching staff. It's about the coaching staff being close with their guys and developing skill. And then in two weeks, you get ready to start playing a game. And it could very well work out that. Nothing at all was different about this camp, and Urban showed up when the team needed him. Urban Meyer's best thing that he does is put structures in place. The Urban Meyer structures are still there in every aspect of the program. Practice, leadership, motivation, recruiting. It's the Urban Meyer structure. And his right-hand man and one of his best friends is driving the car like he always did. And it's just it's just a realization that at the moment now you know, but right now really truly it was like oh, it was just like a light bulb. Yeah. When you guys saw Mickey Marotti, it was a light bulb of oh yeah, nothing's changed. Hard knocks thirty seconds. Brown, do you like hard knocks and why? I uh, I really like hard knocks because uh, they can curse. No, I like I like seeing stuff inside I like seeing stuff inside of meeting rooms. I like seeing how coaches talk when when they think no one's watching. <clears throat> Tim, what do you, did you like Hard Knocks? Yeah, I thought I thought this ep- the first episode was was tremendous. I love you know the speeches from Carl Nassib and Jarvis Landry for completely different reasons. You know, seeing more of Baker Mayfield, the RV story is kind of fun. All all kinds of good stuff, and I'm curious what's going to happen next week because next week they'll get into Corey Coleman and Antonio Callaway stuff. Would you want to be in those meetings? You said you like seeing the meetings, what yes. they're really like? Yeah, you would. I would. I feel like I would have stuck a pencil in my eye if it was in any of those meetings. Like, I, don't, I, think, I think it's largely probably pretty boring. Um, I don't know. Like, whenever you talk to a coach, very, very, very rarely when you talk to a coach do you get what they actually feel about their personnel. Yeah. And I feel like in those meetings you would. Yeah. I don't like reality shows that much. I don't like a lot. I don't watch a lot of reality television. I mean, this is it's just sports reality television. I think I think I I, I didn't I didn't get that into it. I think people 
like reality television is scripted reality, and there's like a guy in the room with you holding a camera. Like in those meeting rooms, I don't like they're just cameras mounted on the wall that I bet you probably forget about them being there after a yeah. couple of days. So I think it's more real than most reality television. Questions. Okay. Wait, before we get to questions, I have a thing I want to talk about. When you guys buy something, how much is trust a part of your purchase, especially online? How much do you do you care about like not just is the is the product something I want, but can I trust where I'm buying it? As someone who once got burned by a Chinese clothing manufacturer, that sent a what was supposed to be three XL jacket that would not fit a toddler. Um, it's a big factor into when I when I shop online. Tim, do you feel like trust is 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 a big part of the online shopping experience? That feeling you can get in your heart that when you're clicking your credit card, you you aren't worried about the purchase. Definitely, I'm only looking at reputable buyers. I mean sellers. You've got to have that faith, right? Because you can get anything. You can get anything on the internet. And listen, Minuteman tickets, they have – you can get tickets a lot of places, right? It's not, a, it's not necessarily a unique product. Now, do they have a great selection of products? Yeah, they do. But here's where I think Minuteman tickets is different, and it's why we like calling them our ticket guys and why we think you should call them your ticket guys, you get that selection and variety about the events, the sports events, the music concerts, the theater shows that you care about, especially in Ohio, but also around the country. You get that selection with that feeling of trust. And the reason you can trust them is because they're people like you, okay? They're on this podcast. They're a sponsor of this podcast because they are like our audience. This is an Ohio-based firm. These are regular people who got into this business. This is not <clears throat> some hard-to-relate-to giant corporation that's, that's a faceless thing that you're clicking something and you don't know what you're clicking. So you can get tickets a lot of places, but I just feel like, why would you risk it? Why would you, even if it works out at another place, if you have even that 10% feeling of, God, I hope this works, that, that puts a load on your day. When you buy tickets to something, you're putting out money. And it's, you're doing it because it's fun and you're excited about it. And I can't imagine doing that and then having even a tinge of worry hooked to that purchase. Minuteman Tickets takes that away. You only get the fun and the excitement because you have the trust. The fun and excitement, you can get other places. The trust, this is where you can get it the most if you're looking for big-time events in Ohio. Also around the country, but if you have that Ohio feeling in you, and especially you're looking for Buckeyes tickets, Browns, Concerts in Cincinnati, Cleveland, Columbus, MinutemanTickets.com will give you that feeling. And, and you would pay for that feeling. I can't imagine having a story 
about I'm going to this big time thing. You know what? This is a little bit of an outlay for me. And here's the thing. When you're going to a game or you're going to a concert, it's a once in a lifetime thing. You can't say, well, all right, well, I'll just deal with it. I'll go to, if it gets screwed up, we'll go to the movie tomorrow. The game's over. You missed it. You have to have that faith. Minuteman Tickets offers you that faith. They do work in the community. In Columbus, they're invested in the community. They're invested in you. MinutemanTickets.com. You know what's getting interesting? The Ohio State opener. Whatever happens, doesn't it feel like you would be interested to be in Ohio Stadium on September 1st? Yes. Mm -hmm. Normally, you look at Oregon State and you say, ah, Oregon State. Whatever happens, whatever happens, no matter who's on that sideline, don't you feel like you might want to be there? Minuteman tickets can help you get there. They can help you get there with that feeling of trust inside you. MinutemanTickets.com. Everything you need. They're our ticket guys. Let them be your ticket guys. Questiones. Okay. Pulled a couple from Twitter and from uh, email. Let's see where I want to start. Uh, let's start with Delillo. Who? Doug Delillo. How do you spell that last name? Uh, D-I-L-I-L-L-O. Okay. Welcome, Doug Delillo, to the podcast. His question was, uh, should he be fit for a straitjacket for thinking Chase Young will be the best defensive end of the team this season? Yes. Nick Bosa is going to be the... Maybe not the more overall pick in the draft, like top three pick in the draft. But the, I think I think he'll be the number one player who's not a quarterback taken in the draft, he'll like be, like his brother. He'll be gone in the first hour of the draft easily. The thing I, I've seen people writing there was uh, I think Pro Football Focus actually I think the Bachelorette guy wrote a thing the other day. I didn't have a chance to read it. I was a little busy. Oh, the guy from a boomerang. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mike Renner, yeah, yeah, yeah. who was on The Bachelorette, I think wrote a story that had a headline that like why why Nick Bosa is the best. It's like it's like why Mike. Maybe we should look up. It's like why Nick Bosa is either the best defensive player or the best defensive lineman in college football, and it's not a discussion. It's not a debate, and that's even if it's only defensive lineman. That's in a world with Rashawn Gary and the four Clemson guys. Maybe it was defensive end. He's not Nick Bosa is the best defensive lineman in the country. I can't read it because I don't pay for it. But it's that's a- that's including if he's saying defensive lineman, he's saying Nick Bosa is better than Ed Oliver, who ESPN just had as the best player in college football. Where so ESPN did this list, Tim? You put him breakfast, right? Yes. Where was Nick Bosa on that list? Let me pull it up real quick. So I I, I, I tuned out for a second. Sometimes this podcast is too long, and I tune out. What did DeLillo say? That Chase Young's better than Nick Bosa? He said, should he be fit for a straitjacket for thinking Chase Young is the best defensive end on the team? I mean, he doesn't have... There's no proof of it. For the record, know. Nick Bosa's number six. Nick he's Bosa's the, number six. He's the number one Big Ten player on the list. Do you have the list up? I can get the list up in two seconds. Six seems very low to me. All right, I'll go, I'll go for the first five before him. Number one, Ed Oliver. Ed Oliver. Agree or disagree should be ahead of Nick Bosa. Uh, agree. Everybody's on that sure, bandwagon. Yeah, agree. Yeah, I, I'll agree. I mean, I think Ed Oliver or quarterbacks are going to be the only thing that keeps Nick Bosa for being the number one pick next April, and I believe Nashville, where the draft is. Number two, Bryce Love. Wrong. Yeah, I, 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 I don't want to hate on Bryce Love, but I, know, it's wrong. I love Bryce Love. 
Okay. I think it's he's not saying he's no, he's good. He's really I mean, good. He had a good he had, year. He had a good year he had, last year. Like not he had, better than Iquoso. He ran well against USC, even though he was banged up in that Pac-12 title game. Number three, Will Greer from West Virginia. That's so wrong. I will agree with that. That's laughably wrong. Yeah, I don't think that's right. Number four, Christian Wilkins from Clemson. So, like, now we're in the discussion of, like, great defensive linemen. Like, if it's if Christian Wilkins is ahead of Nick Bosa on your list, it's by point zero 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 one percent Yeah, it's a, it's a thin margin. Number five, Dexter Lawrence from Clemson, who admitted so to reporters yesterday, like, he was obviously wasn't 100% last season, and he said he was closer to 50%. Yeah. Yeah, and we covered Dexter Lawrence at when Ohio State played Clemson. We because Dexter Lawrence was a guy Ohio State was after really hard. Yeah. He's really good. He's different than Nick Bosa. I mean, like he's, he's a defensive. T- like I've I've never seen anyone who looks like Dexter Lawrence. People are very high on on these athletic defensive tackles that could get interior pressure, who are giant and quick and athletic and great technique. Like that's that's a thing. It's the Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald. Aaron my, Donald. My daughter the other day pointed out how difficult it is to say Arnold Palmer. Arnold Palmer. And Arnold I feel like Palmer. Aaron Darnold. When you get a lot of R's and L's and A's and N's in the same thing. Arnold Palmer. Aaron Donald. I feel like that would be a good... You know how they do like... Warm when up. you do a play? Yeah. La, 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 la. Aaron Donald. <laughs> See, I can't Unique do it. Aaron Donald. Work. Arnold Palmer. Aaron Donald. If you're driving in a car, listen to this, and you're with someone else, have a competition, five times fast, who can say it better? Aaron Darnold, Arnold Palmer. I can't say it. You just said Aaron Darnold. So I don't think that's I don't think that's terrible. I do think Nick Bosa should be in the top five. I would not put the only <coughs> players I would give consideration over Nick Bosa are the other defensive linemen we're talking about. Yeah. Not Bryce Love. Definitely not Will Greer. I get it, he has long hair, he throws a lot of touchdowns. I would put it would be hard for me to put uh, like to distinguish between Bryce Love and Nick Bosa, but I would have no problem if he was like number three on this list, and then Will Greer be somewhere way down because next quarterbacks like Trace McSorley, number nine, Jared Stidham, and number ten. I'd put him below both those guys. I will say lists like this are meaningless, and we love to do lists like this at Cleveland.com because yep. they're fun. Just as a quick side note, what was the Ohio State thing that stood out most to you on that list? Because uh, there was something that stood out to me that I was like, hmm. Dwayne Haskins was number thirty-two. And he has never started a game. And where was Shea Patterson on the list? I have actually. I think twenty-five. He, okay, so and he, but Shea Patterson has played college football. Just hasn't played in the Big Ten. Um, I feel like there was something before that, like Dwayne Haskins wasn't on a list that we talked about. It was sort of he like wasn't on the he, SI list, top hundred players. Yeah, like that was. I just thought that was of note. And I, here's and I this actually this happens. How do the people who make that list know about Dwayne Haskins? Now, there's there's some good people at Sports Illustrated, but what do you think they do? Partially. Read Cleveland.com. But they do. They read and listen, and they get a gauge from local coverage. So I swear to God, it's very possible that, like, Sports Illustrated did a list. Nick Dwayne Haskins is in the top 100. We're like, what? That's ridiculous. And then, like, someone's like, yeah, I was listening to Buckeye talking. They really think Dwayne (laughs) Haskins. I'm not, like... Puffing enough up, but like yeah, we're in the business of covering Ohio State, and when we say Dwayne Haskins is going to be good, national people who don't know as much about Ohio State as we do listen to that. So, are we taking credit for Dwayne Haskins being number thirty-two on this list? Young Simba, you get most of the credit. You get fifty-one percent. We get forty-nine percent. He has a, he and Awesome Mac do have a nice apartment. Um, I also I, before we get to the next question, I do want to ask this: the thing that jumped out to me the most in general, Tua was number eleven. 
You are Tua obsessed. I mean, they put Tagovailoa at number 11 off one half. Brandon was an amazing half of football, but one half of football basically his entire career. It's one half that won the national championship. <clears throat> what do you think of the Jalen Hurts deal? Jalen Hurts, like, kind of saying Michigan, uh, Alabama had kept him under wraps and then him saying, like, not casting Alabama in a great light the way they've handled it. Well, his his deal was, like, there wasn't – no one asked him, like, how he felt about things. There wasn't a whole lot of conversation about what was going on. Yeah. Uh, not great. Not great. Like, I think that's not – and who – like, I'm assuming he's telling the truth. What what motivations he have to not tell the truth? Um, the one thing I thought about the Ohio State situation is there seemed to be conversation – Constant conversation with everybody. And even Joe Burrow said that. Like, he felt kept in the loop and felt he was given ample opportunity. Yeah. So, um... I think that matters. It seems like Alabama didn't quite do things that yeah. way. I've, it proved to me that, like, it's basically impossible to handle a quarterback controversy no matter who you are. If, if Nick Saban can't handle it, then nobody can. And the only way to really win it is if the right is if the guy you pick is outstanding. Well, and the other thing is, and I don't know this for a fact, and now I'm going to do the thing that like I complain about when people who don't really know what they're talking about like have an opinion about something, and I'm sure the AL.com. If you guys ever want to read about Alabama, you've got to read AL.com. That's our sister site in Alabama. They cover Alabama like we cover Ohio State. Um, I don't know. Like I don't know that Nick – like the, the, the idea that Nick Saban would be like, well, you're not the starting quarterback. I, I'm not going to like spend a whole lot of time talking to you. Like I don't know. Like is that – I mean, I know Nick Saban... I mean, if he's definitely not the starter. Yeah, but, like, that Nick Saban maybe wasn't, like, nice enough to a guy he doesn't need anymore. Like, does that is that a shock? I don't know. No, no, no. I think we've seen how ruthless Nick Saban can be by benching a starting quarterback at halftime of the national title game. Nick Saban is on a media blitz. Nick Saban, like, like ESPN did this story with all these anecdotes about yeah. Nick Saban, and then somebody else just did something with Nick Saban... Marty Smith played basketball with him. Yeah, I mean, it's like, I don't know. They're trying to warm and, they're warm and cuddly up Nick Saban a little bit, which is interesting. I mean, he's a great coach. He's a great coach, but it seems like he's, yeah. he's allowing uh, – and Urban did the same thing like when he got here. It's like Wright Thompson, you know, drove in the car with Urban Meyer to talk about fatherhood. But, like, I'm not sure why Nick Saban is doing it now. Uh, there's a point that you made in your observations, Landis, which relates back to DeLillo's question, and we're now 30 minutes on DeLillo's question. You said you thought it seemed like Jonathan Cooper and Chase Young were a little closer from a five-minute observation of practice, maybe than expected. Yeah, it was more about it was more about reps than anything else because they weren't really going against anybody, but um, they were just like both mixing in with the first team, and, and it wasn't it wasn't a comment on Chase Young as much as it was a comment on Jonathan Cooper maybe being a little better than than we're willing to give him credit for, or at least that maybe we should have been talking about him a little more. Um, I still think Chase Young is better. Uh, and certainly Nick Bosa is, is separate from everybody else, but um, just watching them the way they did things made me think like, well, maybe we should pay attention a little more to Cooper. Maybe he'll play. I don't think it's going to be like uh, a full one-third, one-third, one-third kind of deal for the three of them. Um, but I maybe at one point I thought it was going to be like Nick Bosa plays like 70% of the snaps and Chase Young, I don't know, I'm bad at math. Chase Young plays something similar to that, and, and Jonathan Cooper is like in the mix, but not quite. And like you know, there's a separation between everybody else. Yeah, um, I think maybe that won't be the case. Jonathan Cooper's like a top fifty recruit, right? Yeah, like mm-hmm. it's it's again he and John Cooper. Jonathan Cooper has done nothing wrong other than play a position with four NFL guys, Nick Bosa and Chase Young last year. So it's like uh, okay, three NFL like. Jonathan Cooper was their sixth defensive end last year. Yeah. Okay. Well, the five guys ahead of him, you know, so 
<coughs> the idea, like if you're making a list of uh, surprise Ohio State players for 2018, I think you could probably make a good case to put Jonathan Cooper high on that list just because it's easy to talk about other people at his position a lot and not talk about him even though he was a huge recruit who's absolutely done, stayed on the track to be an impact player. Question number two. Uh, Maddie Ice wanted to know if we can do a, an experiment with Tim where we blindfold him <laughs> and feed him vegetables and he has to guess what the vegetable is by taste. See, but the thing is, if he has never eaten the vegetable before, how would he be able to guess? If I put a table full of vegetables in front of you and didn't blindfold you, do you how confident are you, are you in your ability to identify each vegetable? Uh, probably not very confident because, correct me if I'm wrong, like, actually, I... I didn't know where like, I was going to go with Could that. you look at, like, a zucchini and a cucumber and tell the difference? <laughs> Probably. I, I, I challenge you on that. I, I, I have cut up a zucchini and fed it to my child as a cucumber slice. I'm sure that was real pleasant. <laughs> yeah, that was like one of those, mom's not here. Here's some, have some cucumbers with your lunch. These cucumbers taste weird. They taste weird because they're a zucchini. Um, so, I, could you? Yeah. Are you sure you could tell a zucchini from a cucumber? 100%. 100%? Yeah. What if it, uh, based on what? Sheen? <laughs> what's the, what's uh, the differentiating factor? The stem? Like, a zucchini has a stem? Usually, like a, you can get them without it, I guess, but they typically have like a little bit of a stem on the top, because they're, I think they're technically a gourd, or a squash, or whatever. Yeah. So they have a similar thing on the top of it to a pumpkin, it's not quite as pronounced, but yeah. it's there. Um, but also the outside of it looks a little different. The okay. coloration's a little different, I think. I think a cucumber is a deeper shade of, of green, and I think maybe the skin's a little more bumpy, and I think they tend to be a little bigger. Um, uh, this is a challenge we absolutely can do. Name that gourd. Is I play name that gourd. Cucumber? Cucumber or zucchini? Again, great t-shirt slogan. Yeah. We could definitely work on that. I will say, in, in, in... When my daughter was probably like three, uh, one day, someone, we didn't have it, but she saw a head of lettuce, and she was like, what's that? And we said, that's lettuce. And she's like, what? Like, why is that? Because we had only ever bought, like, pre-shredded lettuce in a bag, like a bag of salad lettuce. She did not know what a head of lettuce looked like. Oh, yeah. She did not know that, like, lettuce did not grow in a plastic bag. Sometimes I forget that when I'm walking through the store, like, oh, yeah, that's how they really look. Yeah, and it's like, oh, there's a bag of lettuce that's $2.75. There's a head of lettuce that's 99 cents. But I'm not ripping that thing up. up. What am I, an animal? Yeah. So that's just in defense. In defense about a lack of green vegetable knowledge to some degree, we've all been there. Phil Meyer sent in an email. He says, why did the 2018 top 50 players list not include a kicker, punter, or long snapper? Which is the greatest question anyone's ever asked us. Um, he said, did you judge that Buckeyes, did you judge that the Buckeyes current players do not merit a top 50 ranking? Or did you determine that the kicking game does not merit inclusion along with the offense and the defense? Uh, the former. Uh, because in 2016, when we did this list, punter Cam Johnston was number 10. So uh, there's no hard rule against having specialists. I don't and like, we stand by that ranking. Yeah, we'd never have a long snapper, and I would definitely put a kicker. I just don't like. I don't think Sean Nurnberger has ever been on it, and I didn't consider putting him on this year, and I didn't consider putting Drew Crispin on it. But maybe he had an argument. He's pretty good. Um, but Cam Johnson was the best player in college football for three years, so he was number ten in 2016. 
And how close is Drew Christman, you think, to reaching Cam Johnston's level? Or do we not have enough of a sample size because he probably punted like 12 times last season? Yeah, uh, he wore a t-shirt that can't move in that had a picture of his girlfriend on it that said, I love my Mormon girlfriend. <laughs> so uh, he gained some points there. So he, he's gaining on Cam. It's close. The specialists brought their A game with the t-shirts on Monday night yeah, to do. the check-in. They do. Bill had great videos, photos, checked about again, Cleveland.com. But by the way, your boy Cam Johnston checked in on Twitter to say, I don't understand why these reporters stand outside and watch 18 to 22-year-olds walk into a hotel. Yeah, neither do I. <laughs> <laughs> it's just part of it's part of the job description. <coughs> Confirming the player's existence, like you said. Um, no one stopped and talked, right? No. Uh, like, Liam McCullough stopped to let us take a picture of his shirt within a shirt within a shirt. Because he needs it for next year if, he, if his brother wears it. Right. And then Johnny Dixon wore Liam's shirt from last year, correct? Yes, or two years ago, I think. Yeah, it's all very confusing. It's like the Inception. Uh, Jude Rapsky sent in an email, uh, had a question and then a suggestion for the gathering on August 27th. He said, first, will Tim be breakdancing on the tables on August 27th? No. What kind of? Who's a good dancer here? I'm not a good like I have I have I have enough rhythm to get by, but I don't, yeah. I'm not a good dancer. Tim, what's your? How are you dancing? Uh, I'm not a very good dancer. Okay. Uh, the second uh, says less of a question, more of a suggestion. But you should give out pins with Doug's face on them as a souvenir at the August 27th event. Mm, I mean, I'm in favor of that. I'm not sure that's what people want, but I'll make them. I'll get them made, and then I'll just have like 200 pins of my own face if nobody wants them, which is a, a win-win either way. Uh, Jeffrey Kistner sent in an email uh, in which he was very uh, kind to us about our coverage the last week or so. We appreciate that. Then he wanted to ask questions to lighten the mood. Woo! Um, Are these chicken finger and robot questions? No, they're not. And actually, uh, so we we've in the last few episodes, we've played a gong when we want Tim to uh, basically just disagree with us. But uh, this email wants to gong Doug. And he said, All right, I'm here to be gonged. Please make the case in the event that Urban Meyer is no longer with the program that Ohio State should hire Tim Beck. Oh! <laughs> Do you want the gong again? 30 seconds on the clock. Give me me a chance to load that up. Wow. Okay. All right. I'm thinking about this. All right. Let me know when you're ready. I'm ready. Time starts now. Recruiting is the lifeblood of any program, and Tim Beck has proven to be an elite recruiter in a vital state for Ohio State. Sure. The first quarterback he tried to recruit for Ohio State decided he was a receiver and wanted to go to Oregon. And they accidentally got Dwayne Haskins as a result. But I'm sure that given another opportunity, Tim Beck could lead this program. Sure, when he was here the first time, he had so many good quarterbacks, he didn't know what to do. But all you have to do is give Tim Beck... A fewer, some fewer good players. Don't give him so many good players and he'll be fine. And I feel like he was railroaded by unfair media with an agenda. That's it. That was good. You went over 30 seconds. I'm just so passionate about Tim. He loves Tim Beck. Uh, 
question uh, on Twitter from Jay Alexander's, which his name sounds like a restaurant. Um, who has more touchdowns this season, Paris Campbell, Austin Mack, J.K. Dobbins, or Mike Weber? I have my answer. I have my answer. Tim, you go first. I think the obvious answer is probably J.K. Dobbins. That's my answer. My answer is Mike Weber, the touchdown vulture. I was who stole like six touchdowns away from J.K. Dobbins last year because J.K. would run him down to the five, and then they'd hand it to Mike, and he'd fall into the end zone. I swear, you must be mind reader. I was literally thinking. What do you mean, mind reader? You said a different thing. No, I when I read the question, I was thinking, do I want to say Mike Weber, the touchdown vulture, or not? Because that's my line. What 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 were their touchdown numbers last year? Weber and Dobbins specifically. I don't think it's going to be a receiver. I, think, I mean, I don't. So, I think Weber had 10 and Dobbins had 7. Mike Weber had more touchdowns than J.K. Dobbins last year? Yeah, because he's the touchdown vulture. I'm still not changing my answer, but like, I didn't know that. Did you know that, Tim and Bill? Did you know that fact as you prepared your answer? Yes. I did not know that fact. Did you know that fact, Tim? You had a, a vulture inclination. Did you know that fact that Weber had more? No, but I, I'm pretty sure Mike Weber had the longer run between the two. God, of them. nailed that. Ten and seven. And Mike Weber missed four games. Mm-hmm. J.K. Dobbins was there the whole time. And Mike Weber did have the longest run of the season at that 82-yard touchdown against Michigan State. How many touchdowns did J.K. Dobbins score in the first three games last year? Or the first four? Because uh, Weber played like in the third game or something and had like five carries and then didn't play in the fourth yeah. game. J.K. had three touchdowns in the first three games. That Indiana game where he had 181 yards on 29 carries, no touchdowns because Antonio Williams <coughs> played the role of touchdown vulture in that game. So so J.K. Dobbins had three touchdowns while like Mike Weber was not doing anything. And then once they were both playing, Mike Weber had 10 touchdowns and J.K. Dobbins had four? Yeah. That's crazy. Which, by the way, if, if you're in a college fantasy league, which I think exists, take Mike Weber. Yeah, I think that's a new thing. I forgot who. He's the Mike Tolbert of uh, college football. I right. forgot who created this. It might be CBS Sports, CBS Sports or something. There's a college football fantasy league. Yeah, they exist. Um, second part of the question from Jay Alexander's was. Uh, Should we do a college football fantasy league with our listeners? We can try to set that up, yeah. Okay. Um, and then we can promise the winner something, but then never tell them who the Why winner is. I gotta go there. I'm gonna get to it. <laughs> Whoever won, there's a spreadsheet buried on our website. I'm gonna add it. I'm gonna add it up. I was gonna add it up. Here's what I was gonna do. I was gonna add it up right as I was opening the spreadsheet to add it up. Ohio State fired Zach Smith. That's not my fault. What? What about? What if they were allowed to come up on stage for five minutes of the live show? Got to figure out who the winner is first. We'll bring. We'll. I, I'm up for parade of loyal listeners at the live show. If you are someone that if you come up to us and tell us your Twitter handle, and we're like, "Hey, you can come on stage," and yeah. be recognized. Yeah, about, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, second half of the question: uh, Do you guys like Greek food? Greek slash Mediterranean food. I know you don't because it has vegetables in it. Uh, do you like like a? Is it a gyro? Is it a gyro? How do you say it? Gyro, gyro. I, I think it's a gyro. I believe it's called gyro. I know there's a place close to my apartment that is like a Mediterranean place. It's on. I'm forgetting. What's your address? I'm forgetting what road it is. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Sankis Boulevard. It's on Sankis Boulevard. It is Paris. on Sankis Boulevard. Uh, I don't like the sauce. And the tzatziki in, sauce. Yeah, I'm so a fan. I'm out. What's, break it down. Give us like a five-second breakdown of Greek food. I'm not an expert on it. I mean, all, all I've had is the gyro slash gyro, however you say it. Um, I've been 
people have tried to talk me into like going to like a Mediterranean bistro before, and I've never gone, but I think I would enjoy it. But I don't like. I feel like a lot of that cuisine, like the vegetables, are the feature of it. Mm. And while I enjoy a vegetable, I do not want the vegetable to be the feature part of anything I'm eating. I'm also a little out on lamb, and isn't that a popular meat in Greek? Oh, food? I like lamb. Yeah. What What does lamb taste like? Uh, like a cute baby animal that was murdered for you yeah, to consume. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I have nothing. You know, I mean, baby cute baby animals are here for us to consume. Right. So I don't have a problem with that. Um, but does it taste more like pork or more like beef or more like beef? More like beef. Yeah. A cute, cute. You just it just stares up in your face and you just cut off its head and consume it and then eat it. Yeah. Yeah. With with a sauce that I don't like. Maybe I'll try lamb. I would. Ki- I mean, I would eat a lamb. I would eat a lamb. Eat a Sorry, lamb. I just had a Simpsons moment. That's why I was like, like quietly laughing hysterically. You weren't laughing quietly. <laughs> no, oh. is that what has Homer said? Is it the episode where Homer Simpson murders a lamb and consumes it? No, no, it's oh, the one where plus. Lisa becomes a vegetarian because she uh, sees a little lamb and then she. Like, they have pork chops, and Lisa instantly decides she's done eating meat. But then at the end, Homer kills the lamb, and they all roast the lamb on a spit and dance around with torches and eat the lamb? No, Lisa Lisa discovers it's okay to be a vegetarian with the help of Apu and Paul and Linda McCartney. You know what? I must be thinking of a different show. Hmm. I'm definitely thinking of the one where there's a cute baby lamb, they roast it on a spit, they chant, hold torches, run around, and then consume delicious meat. Brady Bunch. That's right. Okay. Uncle Tim's radio show, which is Uncle a Tim's parody radio of. Show. I, I gotta get Tim into this life. real quick because. Oh, is there a reaction? Ooh, okay. because we'll interrupt the question. We didn't okay. get you guys. Obviously, didn't obviously too, we're too busy with the Saxmith stuff to really get into it. But this popped up after the last episode, the last full episode. My mom still thinks I created the account. Oh, uh, for real? She thinks you're that parodying yourself. That, that yeah, can't be true. The account's funny. Oh my well, God. to be. <laughs> So why so so what is the reaction in the Bielik household and among your nephews to I, the idea of I, Uncle Tim's radio? I don't think the nephews know about it really. To be honest, I don't think anybody. I don't think anybody in my brother's family is on Twitter really. The, uh, the but we talked about it. But did they react to the idea that that episode was Uncle Tim's radio show? My brother was critical of me for not remembering with one hundred percent certainty where the. Where exactly they were born? I was like ninety eight percent, but is it possible your brother made this Twitter account? (laughs) Because uh, the bio says a show for my nephews, even though I don't know what country they were born in. No, I I guarantee it wasn't him. He's got better things to do. The handle is at Uncle Underscore Radio. So, but it is nice to know that. By the way, I have three thousand plus followers, so thank you to my Twitter followers that I final I must be famous enough finally to have a parody account. So it must mean I've arrived. What? How many followers does the Uncle Tim's Radio Show account have? Thirty two. Thirty two. So if you want to follow Uncle Tim's Radio Show or follow Tim Bielik, um, it's kind of the same. But here's the problem: Fake Urban Meyer follows that account, but he doesn't follow me. That's fine. For real, I'll reach out to Fake Urban Meyer and I. Fake Urban Meyer and I are good. We're we're boys. So it is weird with that account. Well, maybe it's the same person. I'll get fake. That that actually is possible. Yeah, I'll get fake Urban. Uh, he is he's pretty good at that. You got, I'll, I'll get fake. Urban I believe you that. guys. You did a story on. Fake I Urban. have lunched with fake Urban. I did a whole story where I asked Shelly Meyer and Urban Meyer about fake Urban Meyer. <laughs> it's the biggest Shelly Meyer story I ever did because it was. No, it's not. Oh, her hair caught on fire. <laughs> the most popular. 
That's the lead to the, my obit that no one's going to read is Doug Maurice, who once wrote a story that got a hundred thousand. Once wrote a story about er, er, Shelley Meyer's hair catching on fire that got a hundred thousand clicks on the internet. Died lonely, <laughs> destitute, miserable, and um, still trying to top that story. I yeah. apologize for getting. I apologize no, no, for getting no. so far we, off track. We with needed Tim. to discuss Uncle Tim because what happened is right. Uncle Tim's radio show was nonsense time, and then, like, the next day, it was serious time, wasn't yeah. it? that went up Wednesday morning at, like, 6, and then a Wednesday morning at 10.30, the world was on fire. Yeah, that would be, like, one of those things about, like, why didn't Uncle Tim's radio show take off and become a huge hit? And it's, like, bad timing. I had a really good conversation with somebody from Ohio State for a story that I want to write, at like 10.15 a.m. that morning, and then we hung off the phone, and then I saw Brett McMurphy's story. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I hope I can write that story someday. I think it'll be good. Anyway, Uncle Tim's radio show asks, in 10 years, who will have the best NFL career? Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa, Chase Young, or Jonathan Cooper? Or any of the incoming freshmen. Who knows? I have no idea. Of those four, Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa, Chase Young, Jonathan Cooper. Best oh. NFL career. Bring in the heat with his first question. Yeah, it's medium. Uh, it is, it is Tim Afro. It's a Tim parody. Claims to be a more aggressive version of you, though. Well, he says he couldn't be. I couldn't be more right about square cut pizza. So let me say this: Joey Bosa and Nick Bosa are the whole package, right? Mm-hmm. They're they're great athletes, but they've also been tutored in the ways of defensive ends by their father and their uncle, both of whom were first round draft picks as NFL defensive ends. Um, they're really good. Technique-wise. I think it's possible, and they're also extreme athletes. Joey Bosa is, like, I think really good getting around the edge. I think Nick's, like, a little more power, maybe a little less. I think uh, Nick's stronger. I think yeah. Nick's stronger than Joey, but but Joey is, like, super good with technique and a little bendy, right? you got to get yeah. some bend on the edge. Um, <clears throat> I think it's possible that Chase Young, again, if if – if Joey Bosa and Nick Bosa's are 95s as athletes, I think Chase Young might be a 98 mm-hmm. as an athlete. And as Chase Young grows more into the Larry Johnson ways of technique and the tricks of the trade and all that stuff, um, I think there's an upside possibly to Chase Young uh, that hasn't been reached yet just because Nick and Joey just have a firmer background in it because their dad did it. So – so based only on, I think there's more to Chase that we haven't seen, I'll say Chase. I think I would agree with that for those same reasons. I, yeah. I think I think Nick might be a little better than Joey, which is like, Joe, didn't Joey lead the NFL in sacks? Uh, no, I don't think, but he was like rookie really of the year good. or something. Really he was good. like, maybe I think the fastest, like 20, I think. He just got hurt. He just got hurt too. But it's, I think he's okay, but yeah. Yeah. Um, I think Nick will be a little better than Joey, but I also think like it's just splitting hairs a little bit. I agree. I think I think there's a different level of, of athleticism with Chase Young than those two guys, and I think maybe he'll be a little better. Yeah, I'm actually going to disagree. I will. I think I'll Ooh. say Nick Bosa. Okay, because I think if if we are on, under the belief that Nick Bosa is a more tech, more technical than Joey, with very similar athleticism, strength, and his kind of raw athletic ability. Not quite the physical freak that Joey Bosa was, but more technical. 
I think you got a chance to have a very complete defensive end who could just be just absolutely disruptive, but a guy that in the NFL you could also slide inside if you want to put another edge rusher in, a guy that could do everything for you. And I just, we know so much more about Joey now. I mean, the answer could be very different in December when we get a full season of Chase Young as a starter slash extremely high contributor. But right now, I just feel like there's so much going for Nick Bosa. I feel like it would be impossible. It would be so difficult for him not to be a superstar at the NFL. I, I Just to be clear, I don't think – I think Joey is a technical wizard. I don't think Nick is, has better technique than Joey. So Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. I think Nick is maybe more of like a, like a monster. Like, in a, like a, just like a I – think, I think Nick might maul you more. That he's just a little, I, I don't like a little. I know what you're saying like a yeah. little more bull rush, a little more like straight power. But I feel like Joey had all of it. Um, but I think the thing that helped separate Joey is that Joey was, um, Joey was a technician who yeah. learned a lot from Larry Johnson. But the thing all along the way that's funny is that you know we've been hearing this stuff about it, it's. It's like the stuff you – like Venus Williams was really good and their dad, Richard Williams, was like, wait till you see the younger one. Yeah. And then it was like, how could anyone be better than Venus – oh! <laughs> I'm not saying that's going to be the comparison, um, but they've been telling us about Joey uh, – they've been telling us about Nick since Nick was in 10th grade, since Joey got here. And it was like, okay, Joey is like unbelievably good. And it was like, wait till you see the younger one. It was like, what? And and having talked to John Bosa – Back then, in during the bowl game of Joey's freshman year, and haven't talked about Nick, it's just the idea of everything that Joey did when he was in seventh grade, Nick did when he was in fourth grade. Everything Joey did in tenth grade, Nick did in seventh grade. So you're just, it's just the younger sibling thing of you you tag along, and all of a sudden you're three years ahead of your older sibling because you're kind of doing the same thing they are. Yeah. And, and so Nick's had that the whole time. But I also think there's just a, there's a, there's a little difference. And their body type and how they play, but I mean it's ridiculous to say. But I don't. I mean, like if Joey Bosa, if five years from now, three of the five best defensive ends in the NFL are Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa, and Chase Young. I don't know. I mean, it makes you feel like a homer. Except we, Nick, Ari, Bill, and I were on this podcast in 2015 saying we think Michael Thomas is going to be the best NFL player out of all these guys. And it was like, what? Better than, and he didn't get drafted higher than Joey Bosa and Ezekiel Elliott. But guess what? Like sometimes when you cover guys every day, you can get a sense for stuff. And I feel like over time, you know, we're not trying to blow smoke that these three guys are that good. But I don't know. I think these three guys are that good. Yep. Uh, let's stop there. For real? No more? We're at two hours. Somebody okay. asked me about a cheesesteak place in Philly. But I don't know if you get to talk about that. Okay. He asked if I if I like Joe's, and I do like Joe's, and it ranks highly. It's in my neighborhood where I grew up. All right. So are we good on – do we do enough – are we good on the football talk? We wanted to give people some football talk. Did we get – did we get enough? Okay. I'll ask this question. So in the video I posted uh, – I didn't post it. Dave Revson from Big Ten Network posted, and I retweeted it. Um, it was a video about Chase Young and like how impressive Chase Young was in practice yesterday. And in that particular video, he made Thayer Mumford look silly. And I think there were some people coming out of the spring game who were concerned about the way Thayer Mumford played. And I'll be totally honest, I wasn't really paying much attention to Thayer Mumford because I was so focused on the quarterbacks. Um, so I don't really have a great read on what Thayer did and didn't do in the spring game. 
But Alan Kitchen uh, replied to that video and said, only saw one rep, but it looked like Thayer got whipped by Chase Young. Is that a product of Munford not being ready to play slash lack of experience, Chase Young being really good, or both? I think there is some concern maybe with Thayer Munford at left tackle and his ability to handle that at the moment. And I think it is... I don't know. I think it, ma- it makes sense to me. I'm not like I'm not at a high level of concern. He's a true sophomore who's never played before, and they're going to put him on the left tackle on, the, on an island by himself. He's going to struggle a little bit, and they got to go play at T- against TCU and Arlington. But more importantly, they got to go at Penn State in the fourth game of his career as a starter. And I would be concerned about that. I think I think that an Isaiah Prince situation from the last time they went to state college is out there for Thayer Munford. And I'm not saying it's because I think Thayer Munford stinks. I just think it's hard to be young and inexperienced and play in that environment. Yep. And uh, <clears throat> I think that's good. So so I, I think I think you're allowed to be concerned and should be concerned about a guy at particularly at that position who's so young who's never played before. They love him. They've said unbelievable things about him since he got here. He seems like a kid who really wants it and um, has seized an opportunity that – I don't even think it seized the opportunity. He created an opportunity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There wasn't like, okay, this, it's like Thayer Munford made them pay attention to Thayer Munford. So, um, But also, uh, that's the thing, and, and, and I'll, I think this is a good thing to wrap up on. <clears throat> Ohio State was number three in the AP po- – not the AP, the coaches poll. When did your AP ballot do? By the way, uh, the thirteenth, I think. As we record this on the eighth, I have I we, I had like time to breathe on Saturday or Sunday, and I have I have a top twenty-five sketched out at the moment. I'll probably tweak it a little bit, um, because I have Ohio State maybe higher than I initially thought I would. Yeah, so I might change it. We'll see. You want to tease the loyal listeners with where you have them at the moment or no? Two. <clears throat> I think I said this, and I think it's a, you can look at this roster. One way and say, man, this is – it's not national title or bust, but like they've got everything they need. And then I yeah. feel like you can look at the same roster and you just look at it. You close your left eye and look at it with your right eye instead and you say, man, they are counting on some dudes who really have not had to be dudes yet. Now, they're all four- and five-star recruits. That's the thing, yeah. But it's like we're just <clears throat> making assumptions about – Thayer Munford and Austin Mack and Malik Harrison Jeff Okuda Damon Arnett and Pete Werner and Robert Landers and Haskins and Haskins and whatever guy ends up playing center and there's some established guys here but 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 you know what like this isn't you know this isn't Joey Bosa, Ezekiel Elliott, and Mike Thomas coming back. This, this this is some guys who we're assuming can do it. We are assuming some Marshawn Lattimore, Malik Hooker kind of stories. We're guys who have never been full-time starters and play like all Big Ten, all-American guys. We assume some of those are out there, and I think it's reasonable to assume that. But it's an assumption. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And when it comes to the Munford question um, – I mean, of course he's going to struggle. If Chase Young's as good as he is, fifth, sixth practice with Munford as left tackle, you shouldn't be surprised he's going to struggle. I mean, it's good for him that he's going to have to battle those guys, and it wouldn't be surprised if like they win so they win a ton early. But if by the third week we're still seeing that on a on a regular basis, then I'd start to be concerned. But considering it's so early, 
Um, give credit to Chase Young. TCU's got a really good defensive line. <clears throat> and it was one rep, and we don't get to watch anything. Correct. So it was one rep. But regardless of whether we saw that rep or not, I think it's something that's worthwhile to keep in mind with Thayer Munford. But I think Tim's point is also a good one. And it's, again, it's like it, there are some very interesting things that are similar between the Browns and Ohio State. And another one of them is, like, they have awesome defensive ends. And then when they go against your tackles in practice, it's like if they're getting smoked, is it, is it like, wow, it's because we have, like, some of the best defensive ends around? Or is it because, oh, like, we have problems with our tackles? Yeah. Sometimes when you're just going against yourself, it's hard to know. But if Miles Garrett smokes you, if Chase Young smokes you, if Nick Bosa smokes you, I think it's fair that your first assumption is they're really good. They're going to smoke a lot of guys. I wouldn't panic against about the tackles, but – it's worth keeping in mind. I want to say one more thing. And I don't know why. I think – so there, there's videos There's videos coming out from Ohio State's practices either that Ohio State's putting out or like the BTN put out the other day. And uh, Tate Martell can throw the ball. Yeah, he had a nice little mm. – nice pass to Ben Victor that I put up on Saturday. You're going to see all these highlights on Cleveland.com. I'll have them up by the end of the day today. He had, he had yeah, a good had, throw to Ben Victor. We saw Brian Harlan get like really pumped up about. There was one in another video, like the guy ended up dropping the ball, but it was really well placed deep ball down the sideline. I think I think I've seen like three deep balls that were really well thrown balls. And they put one today put up one today where he threw in a Luke Farrell with another good throw over the middle. And again, it's just it's snippets and he could have thrown nine of the dirt on the same same part of practice. Um but it was just a reminder, and because Ryan Day said it in April, and it was a good reminder. Like what we saw from Martell in the spring game was not necessarily a reflection of his improved ability as a passer, and I think that's worth stating. I, again, I wrote it at off Big Ten Media Day. I don't think there's any kind of quarterback controversy. It's it's Dwayne Haskins' job, but I think there's some trepidation among people. Like if anything happens to Dwayne Haskins, Ohio State's not going to be able to throw the ball. I think that is untrue. And also, they don't let us watch practice, and when Ohio State puts up uh, a highlight of a quarterback throwing a ball 10 yards short of a receiver, get back to me. Which I know you guys know, but it's like this is the problem when you don't have unbiased people watching practice. Correct. And also, the Big Ten Network. Remember when the Big Ten Network went into one of the Big Ten schools and got to watch practice the whole time? And when the Big Ten Network came on and talked about it, they said, this team stinks. Oh, right. They never do that because they're the Big Ten Network. Yeah, no, I said I said he could have thrown a ball in the dirt nine Yeah, no, times I know you're yeah. saying, but it's just yeah. I'm a little aggravated that it's like they get to oh, watch yeah, the practice. I hate it. We didn't get to watch I it. I hate it. Yeah. I mean, I'm not – you guys don't care. I mean, we're, we're here to represent you, and we tell it like it is. And they don't let the we tell it like it is people watch the whole practice. They let the people who are employed by the conference itself – or the team, or the t- so like that's that's. I mean, we're not. Yeah. I'm not like complaining about that, but I'm just telling you, like, you know, we're just telling you the real deal. Like we, yeah. we didn't see it. Hey, guess what? We're doing a show August 27th. Guess what? It's gonna be a little weirder than we thought it was gonna be <laughs> yeah. when we scheduled it. Uh, who knows what's gonna happen that day? Because guess what? Like if. If they change coaches that day, we're doing the show anyway. Then nothing yeah, is stopping lo- us from doing in. that show. You might be writing on the stage while Tim breakdances, but we're doing the show. So, August 27th, 
I don't think the thing is on our page anymore, up in the top right-hand corner, because there's so much actual We'll put up news. another post. Tim will put up another post reminding people of where it is. So go to cleveland.com slash OSU. It will be a post that says, come to the live Buckeye Talk event. It's at Hofbra House in Columbus on August 27th. That's a Monday. That's only three weeks away. Three weeks from this past Monday. 7 to 9 p.m. Sign up ahead of time. It's free. But it helps us if you sign up ahead of time, okay? Latest news is about 100 people signed up, but I think it can hold quite a bit more than that. If you forget to sign up, come anyway. We're not going to turn you away, all right? Hofbra House, Columbus, August 27th. It's a Monday. Buckeye Talk Live. Bill, Tim, Doug. Maybe a special guest. But we're going to have a lot to talk about, but we're going to have fun. We're not going to go, well, I was going to say, we're going to talk about what, what needs to be talked about, but, you know, we're going to do it our way. So um, we would really, we hope we get to see as many of you uh, as possible. Um, it'll be fun. You'll have a good time. And uh, we've been wanting to do this for a while to have something where we can interact with you guys. And it's finally going to happen. And as far as I know, there's going to be beer there. Yeah, I'm going to drink some. <coughs> For purchase. Beer. Yeah, it's not free. Not free beer. No. Depending. Tim we'll, said he's got, he's got everyone's first round, though. Well, I was going to say, how much does a beer cost? Because I don't drink any beer, and I'll tell a beer story at the thing, at the party, at the, at, at the event. I'll tell my beer story if I haven't told it before. How much does a beer cost? At the Hofra House, I think the cheapest you can get a beer for is probably $5. $5. Yeah, or you can get, like, a, you can get a liter for probably 10 all right, so I really can't actually buy everybody a beer. No. Could I get like one plate of mozzarella sticks to go around if everybody takes like one bite? I don't think they have those at Hopper House. You can get a uh, plate of schnitzel. <laughs> you can get a plate of schnitzel. They have pretzels there. All right, that's it. Thanks to you guys for listening. Uh, read us at cleveland.com slash OSU. You know the Twitter stuff. Drop the email again. BuckeyeTalkPod at gmail.com. Live event. Thanks to uh, you guys for listening. And guess who else we want to thank? We want to thank our ticket guys and yours at MinutemanTickets.com. And we want to thank the finest selection of Ohio State apparel and stuff on the internet and in a giant, lovely building. Our friends at ShopOhioState.com, the Ohio State University Barnes & Noble bookstore. So... If there's stuff that happens, we will have emergency Buckeye Talks. If there's not, like, breaking news, we'll continue to write about what's happening, cover this this situation, cover the team, and then we'll catch it back here next Wednesday. But but when there is breaking news, we're going to write it, and whenever we can, we're going to try to talk it out and help guide you guys through this. For Bill, for Tim, I'm Doug, and that was Buckeye Talk.